בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוך השם, glad to be here, we have a lot to talk about, we have our part two of this Mishnah, we also have some current events, certain updates that you guys want me to talk about in regards to the kosher world, unfortunately, is getting a wake up call, if you will. Um, and uh, I guess there has to be something to be said. Uh, plus, there's a you know personal kapata of an old story I'll tell you guys maybe that I experienced today. I think it was very interesting. Uh, and the reason why is uh, not only to share my pain, <laughs> but uh, but also to uh, show you guys really that everything we've been talking about. Um, in regards to how people, what people think they are and what they really are, are two different things. Um, so, uh, you know, it's a uh, interesting that the uh, there's a mitzvah, there's a mitzvah in the Torah that you must go visit the sick. You must go visit the sick. And we learn this from Rabbi Akiva where uh, one of his students didn't come in for a long time. And uh, he went to go visit him. And he's, the student, he sees that the student all of a sudden gets some power, some energy in him and starts like, you know, gets up. And he said, wow, thank you. You, uh, you gave me some strength. I was really depressed. I felt like, uh, you know, death, meaning he wanted to die. Mamash wanted to die. Because no one would come to visit me. And that's when Rabbi Akiva made a psak. He said, someone who doesn't visit the sick is like as if he murdered them. So there's a special mitzvah in the Torah that we get from the Chachamim, from our Torah, where the significance we learn from this story, but we obviously we learn it from the Torah also. There's a special obligation to visit sick people. Um, unless someone else can do it, especially if you have, if you're busy in another mitzvah, if you're learning Torah all day and there's someone else to visit them, you are not obligated. On the other hand, if no one's going to visit them, you have to go visit them. One of the stories that you may know, there was one time a um, a talmid chacham that uh, broke both of his legs. And uh, the Gdol Ador decided that he's going to go visit him. Rabbi Yashiv decided he's going to go visit him. Out of all the people, do you know this boy? No. Let's go visit him in the hospital. So they follow, they follow the Rabbi. No one asked too many questions. Not like you guys, two hour questions. So they go, they follow the Rabbi. He goes, he visits the stranger, you know, young guy, and uh, sits with them for a little bit, gives them a, some chizuk, and they leave. He's like, I mean, it's not so easy to be gdola there's, uh, there's no uh, schedule. It's just pretty much you're busy 24 hours a day. So uh, they ask him, uh, 
Why'd you pick this guy? Like, out of all the people, it's not like you go visit sick people every day. You're very busy. Out of all the people, you would think you went to maybe visit family, friends, somebody, not just some stranger. Why did you pick this young guy to go visit? He said, this young guy is going to be Gdolado. Why is he going to be Gdolado? How do you know? Well, you have Nevoah, you have uh, prophecy. He says, when I heard the story, I knew this guy is going to be Gdolado. Why? He says he was uh, learning, and he went up to the library. The library was very big, and it had a, a letters. And he picked one of the books, and he got. He started reading the book while he's on top of the ladder, and he got so into the Torah, he forgot he's on two stories up in the air, and he walked off the ladder two stories up in the air and broke his, both of his legs. He's going to be Gdolado. Who's the boy? Rabbi Vadya. Lava Shalom. You don't get to become Gdolado just by reading some books. You get to become Gdolado by sacrificing Mamash, your life. Separating yourself from this reality that we call life. But now back to visiting the sick, it's very, very critical. But now there's also a very scary story. The Rav Sadia Gaon says that when somebody, when somebody gets sick, and his friend doesn't feel like going to visit him. Forgot. He's busy. He doesn't feel like it. He doesn't like hospitals. Whatever. Some rather some excuse. Just doesn't feel like doing it. Or he can't do it. He's thinking, nah, he's probably going to come back in a week. So I'll visit him when he gets home. So he doesn't go. A week passes. He's not back. He's actually staying in the hospital longer. Now he starts feeling bad. Oh, I didn't go. But now if I go, he's going to mention, how come he didn't come? Okay, okay, you know what? I'll do it this week. Another week passes, he doesn't do it. Another week passes, he doesn't do it. A month, he's in the hospital. The guy didn't come visit him. Now he feels bad. He's like, listen, if I, if I don't go, I'm terrible. If I do go, I'm going to have to suffer the embarrassment that I didn't come for the first month. Of Sadia Gaon says, what does the guy do? He starts praying for him to die. Instead of praying for his dear best friend to live, he starts praying for him to die. Why? He doesn't want to deal with the embarrassment. That's how painful embarrassment is to a human being. That's why the Torah says, when you embarrass another person, someone that embarrasses another in public, loses their olam Why? Why you lose your olam embarrassing somebody in public? He says, because you murdered him. It's like, embarrassing him in public is like murder. It's like, hey, hold on a second. If he murdered, if he murdered, the Chafetz Chaim asked this question. If I murdered him, I still have a Okay, you have to suffer, there's genoms, but a murderer, you look at the Ten Commandments, one of the things to do is not allowed to murder. But if someone murders, he still has a Someone violates Shabbat, no Olamaba, by the way. Someone murders, no Olamaba. I mean, sorry, somebody uh, uh, murders, has Olamaba. But someone that embarrasses another person, which is like murder, no Olamaba. So this should be the opposite. Murder should be no olam And like murder should be still, you know, should be different. 
So what does the Chafetz Chaim say? He says, what's the reason? What's the reason for this? Rabotei Karim, the reason is when someone murders another person, Shalom, at their moment of craziness, immediately after, if they're still a human being, if they completely haven't lost their mind, it was like a moment of anger or something like that happened, immediately after they murder the person, they already start feeling bad. Why? They see a dead body. Seeing a dead body right away, kaparat avonot and a half. You see what happens to the body, what had the just You see this guy was living, uh, breathing and everything a moment ago. Now is mamash, mannequin. All the uh, waste comes out of the body. It's kaparat Immediately the guy starts feeling bad. The next day even more. It's like, ah, you know what? He probably has a family. Ah, you know what? Look at the people crying. Start feeling bad. He said that feeling bad is already makes his chuba. He feels bad. But the guy that embarrassed another one in public doesn't feel bad. Why? He thinks he's right. He thinks like he deserved it. He deserved it. I didn't want to listen to him. Why did he come? I didn't want to listen to him. I didn't tell him I wanted to listen to him. Who is he? So Rabotai Karim, Rav Sadia Gaon gives us a chidush about how lowly we are without learning Torah that has Musar as a foundation, that has Dirat Shamayim as a foundation. Rav Sadiq says, for a person that knows what embarrassment is, if he knows the pain of embarrassment, he would rather his best friend die than get embarrassed himself for a moment, for not visiting for a month. That's how terrible embarrassment is. And that's why the Sfarim HaKadoshim say, the biggest embarrassment there is and when someone goes in front of Hashem Barach as a rasha. Vaniv'alu panem, the Chachamim used the Pasuk uh, from uh, the, the, uh, the tribes when they first see Yosef and they realize, oh, this, this king is really our brother. And they all got scared from his face. Why they got scared from his face? Because they realize it's their brother and they did him wrong. They realized that everything they judged was wrong. Hashem showed them the entire picture. He showed them what they decided and how they decided and how they concluded incorrectly. And He showed them the truth. And they got so embarrassed, they all died. All, the, all of the brothers died for embarrassment. Hashem brought them back to life. Yosef at Sadiq told them, don't worry, you meant bad for me, Hashem meant good for me. And so on and so forth. But the Gemara says... If it happened in this world to the Shvatim, if it happened for us when we go in front of Hashem Barach, and when he asks us, no, how come you uh, didn't learn Torah every day? How come you uh, didn't make sure that the food was kosher? How come uh, you uh, weren't modest? How come you didn't keep Shabbat? How come you didn't work on your midot? How come? What are you going to say? Oh, I was busy. You know what you're going to say? Veniv alu panav, you're going to be scared. You're going to die over and over again, Hashem Echem, if you don't do these things. You don't do tshuva. That's what people don't understand. Now, a lot of people don't understand the significance of tshuva, and they have a, uh, they're mamash convinced, convinced that they don't need to do tshuva. They're convinced. 
And when you tell people, listen, you need to learn Musar, you need to learn character traits, you need to uh, develop yourself. People are like, no, I did Shuvah already. I did Shuvah already. I keep Shabbat. I keep Shabbat, I keep kosher. And the reason why is the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat, page 119, says that a person does not see any obligation on himself. He sees obligation on everyone else except himself. He looks in the mirror and he sees everything wrong with everyone else behind him. Himself, nothing. A guy is driving on the road, his wife calls him, Honey, you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Why? Because on the news, they're saying there's a crazy guy driving against traffic, so be careful. He goes, Nah, in this town, everyone's crazy. Everyone is driving against traffic. Meaning he's the one that's driving against traffic, but all he sees is everybody else driving against traffic. Against him. All he sees is the wrong in them. Without working on our character traits, we are no different. Someone that learns Torah and does not develop their character traits to become a Ben Adam, to become a human being, to become someone with good midot, a dead animal in the middle of the street is better than him. Why, Rabotai? Why a dead animal? Eliyahu Navin, Tana Deve Eliyahu says, at least the dead animal has nice teeth. It's dead though. Yeah, but at least it has nice teeth. The one that learned Torah and still has bad midot, he has nothing nice about him. Nothing. This is Eliyahu Navi. So, Sometimes you try to teach people some Musar, and what do they do? They run away, showing you that they need the Musar even more than you thought. So that was my, uh, my tikkun today. Someone invited me to, uh, to go uh, speak right before this. And, oh, uh, you know, if there's an opportunity to go do Kiruv, to go help people do Tshuva, since we know the truth that everybody has to do Tshuva, there's no such thing as Frum. There's no such thing as religious anymore. There's no such thing as someone that doesn't need to. Everybody needs to do tshuva. The religious people, the not religious people, the, the rabbis, the talmidim, everyone needs to do tshuva for something. Some people need to do tshuva for Shabbat. Some people need to do tshuva for emunah. Some people need to do tshuva for stop stealing. Some people need to do tshuva for modesty. Whatever, everybody has to do something. As a speaker, you get a lot of experience. You get to see, you see the crowd, you know what they need to do. Not prophecy, it's Yat Vishmayah. So, they invite me to speak, Baruch Hashem, and uh, Baruch Hashem, the rabbi is Talmud Chacham. He speaks for a few minutes. They have food, they get everybody food, everybody eats like they've never eaten in their life. <laughs> it's like people act when you have food in, in, in these events, everybody acts like they never eat in their life, like they don't have food at home. Everybody acts like they don't have any food at home. This is the first meal they're having since last Shabbat. Like they're all eating, they're like filling up their pockets practically, and they're not even paying attention to the rabbi that's speaking. You know, the whole suda is because somebody died. Show a little honor to the guy that died. The whole reason why we're having it is not to feed you, you metumtam. It's not because of the, he came here to feed you. It's not uh, a restaurant. It's a biknesset. The food is just, uh, you know, whatever. To honor the dead even more, to honor the events, not to feed you. What are they doing? They're, they're eating mamas like they've never eaten in their life. The rabbi is talking, no one's listening. So I'm saying, okay, there's 50 people here. Kaparat Abono, they're not even listening to their own rabbi. 
I'll say, okay, whatever. Hopefully my words, they're coming from the heart. Hopefully they reach the heart. Little do I know, as soon as he finishes, which is only 10, 15 minutes he talks. And I don't know how long they're going to give me. I thought, I don't know, it's going to be anywhere from 10 minutes to uh, 2 hours. I have no idea. So my friend told me, listen, speak until they leave. So I go up, and I go, oh, let's do Kaddish. What Kaddish? I haven't started talking yet. I said, okay, if they don't want to hear me, I'll leave. I don't, I have no obligation here. No, 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 I want you to talk. What do they do? 80% of them leave. Mamas, 80% of the people just leave. But they don't just leave. They don't go to like home. Like they're busy. Their wives are waiting for them. Or they have work. No, they just go to a different part of the synagogue. They just go chit-chat. Mamas, showing you to your face, I have no interest in anything that you have to say. And these are people that call themselves religious. It's not like, uh, they don't know anything. The guy is a, uh, you know, just came out of a zoo. He thought he was a lion his whole life. Now he realizes he's a human. No, these people call themselves religious. They keep Shabbat. Or at least they say they do. What happened, Abutai? What happened? What happened to us? What happened to us is that we don't see a chovah be'atzmenu. We don't see that we have anything to improve. So when someone says, listen, someone's going to teach you some musal, Musaf for me? No, I'm already religious. I don't need to learn Musaf. What do to fix? Little do we know that doing such a thing is not only but it's also going against the Torah in other regards. But most importantly, aside from that, because all the things I can tell you what it says in the Torah for such people is honestly a waste. It's like it's not, it's not going to help. What's going to help? Just to give you an example. In the secular world, in the business world, there's no Torah in the business world. There's no Torah. You can pick it up. It won't break you. Uh, in the business world, we had... Hold on. Yitzhah uh, showed up. Welcome. Welcome back. Okay, of course. Why not? We needed some embarrassment. Kaparat Avonot is healthy for us. I don't know about that. I don't know. Makara. Okay, hold on a second. Technical difficulties. Thank you very much. So, um, where was I? Oh, so the people. You tell them the uh, the truth. You tell them that, listen, we need to fix ourselves. People don't want to hear it. Because they figure that if they keep a few mitzvot, that they're finished. They're done. Now, in the Gemara, Masechet Sanedrin, it says, before the Mashiach comes, before the Mashiach comes, a lot of things are going to happen. When is he going to come, the Gemara asks. When is he going to come? Is there any signs? Says, yeah, it's going to be a generation of fully righteous or a generation of fully wicked. Chachamim says, fully righteous and no reshaim. We all know it's not possible. There's always going to be Esav, there's always going to be Ishmael, there's always going to be Amalek until after Mashiach. He destroys all of it. There's always going to be reshaim, there's always going to be the lefty losers, there's always going to be all these different uh, crazy people. 
even in the generation of Moshe Rabbeinu. On Mount Sinai we sinned. Fully righteous, not possible. Fully wicked, also not possible. Why? The Gemara says, the world must have 36 tzaddikim for Hashem to let it continue. So fully, it's never fully. It's going to be at least 36 tzaddikim. I'll buy more, but the point is 36. So what does the Gemara really mean? The Gemara really means, Rabotai, that before the Mashiach comes, everyone is going to have to make a choice. Uh, you're either going to be fully righteous, 100% on board with Hashem, or you're going to be a Rasha. Why 36? Why 36? Why 36? It's a number that Hashem decided. I don't know specifically why the 36 came up. But the more important part is that everyone will have to make a choice. Either you're going to do full tshuva and stop being a robot that keeps Shabbat, but actually do full tshuva, work on midot, learn Torah every day, tefillin every day, go and pray, do everything that you need to do, or you're just going to give it all up. Why? The test will just keep getting bigger and bigger. So when you tell people that the Gaon Mivilna, when he was asked, Kodarav, if fixing your midot is so important, why isn't it one of the mitzvot? He says because the mitzvot are supposed to fix your midot. Meaning that if you have 613 mitzvot from the Torah, you have another seven from the rabbis, 620. We can't really do 620 because we're not all men, we're not all koanim, we're not all women and so on, but approximately half are relevant to each person. You're driving me crazy with your phone, by the way. I see you. You're in front of me. Oh, well, whatever you're doing. I, sorry. I think you're doing something. <laughs> suspecting you already from last week from last week suspecting you from last week after two hours I could tell after two hours so the uh, 620 mitzvot and if fixing your midot was important why wouldn't it be 621 add it to the mitzvot the Gaumi Vina says the, mit- the uh, mitzvot are supposed to be to fix your midot you wake up in the morning, say modani, teach you how to have uh, gratitude. You, uh, you know, when you do business, you do it honest, because you know, you want to go to Ganeden, you don't want to go to Gainom. Teach you honesty when you conduct business, and so on and so forth. They said that the problem is that in today's world, it's become acceptable to be a liar. It's become acceptable to be a cheater, so much so that people are convinced they must lie and cheat in order to succeed. It's not that, listen, in the old days, I remember when, when, I, was, when I was growing up, if someone was caught lying or cheating, everybody would find out, nobody would do business with the guy ever again. He's on cherem, no one's inviting him, no one's talking to him, he has to move out, he has to move to a different town when no one knows him. That's the way it used to be. You ask your grandparents, how was it when somebody cheated or lied or something? He has to do tshuva somewhere else. Why? No one's going to forgive him here. Today, it's acceptable for someone to cheat. Why? They let him, they let him do tshuva in his community. Why? Because they're cheating also. They just haven't been caught yet. And now we find out that this is also happening, unfortunately, or it's being exposed. It's been happening for years, but it's being exposed in the kosher world. And just in the last 24 hours... Two major breaking news stories happen in the kosher world. 
where one, there was a restaurant here in, in, uh, in Florida, a pretty big oh. restaurant with a couple of uh, big, uh, a couple of, you know, multi-million dollar locations. Uh, so it's not like a little hut in the corner that, uh, each establishment is seven figures. Has been selling food that they claim was kosher, that the Orthodox, the um, OU says it's not kosher. They don't have a kosher certificate. Meaning, they're selling non-kosher food, but as kosher. Why? It's more money. Instead of a steak being twenty dollars, it's fifty dollars. Instead of a burger being five bucks, it's twenty-five bucks. Why? The money. But they don't have a certificate. You could have just gotten a certificate and called kosher food. No, but then there's no profit. There's not as much profit if, if, it's, if the food is also kosher, and I say it's kosher, it's not as much profit. So now, Rabotai Karim, these cheaters, these liars, these filthy people, felt perfectly okay with themselves to do such a thing. And I'm sure that when the community sues them, they're going to do something that every other business is going to do in America. What is it? Declare bankruptcy. If their insurance is not going to pay for it, because technically it's fraud, which I highly doubt that their insurance will cover it, they'll just declare bankruptcy. They'll open another LLC, maybe on their wife's names, or their cousin's names, or somebody else's names, and that's it, finished. And that's how you cheat the system over and over and over again. That's what these cheaters and liars do. Now you would think this only happens in like small little places. Unfortunately, we found out today it's also happening with big places. What? This company, this airline, wow. This airline has been selling kosher food, has been selling non-kosher food as kosher. Multi-billion dollar establishment. I mean, it's not like they're short on money. It's not like they're short on money. They're billions of dollars. Each plane is 500 million, a billion dollars in some cases. Depends on the size of the plane. It's not like they don't have any money to pay some uh, rabbis to be mashgichim. It's not like they don't have the money to pay an extra couple of dollars for each meal. It's not like it's that much money anyway for the meal. It's an airplane meal after all. But they've been selling non-kosher food as kosher. Now why, Rabotai? Why? Why is such a thing happening? Why? There's a few reasons and then we're going to start our Mishnah. First and foremost, you should understand that the biggest thing... It's fine. Thank you. It's game. It's what? First of all, you should understand that unfortunately one of the ingredients for failure is when you have the wrong people running the important businesses. Now, in the kosher world, unfortunately, the secular people dominate the market. In the kosher world. Meaning, in the religious food world, secular people dominate a large part of the market. And many of these restaurants are owned by secular people. I know one, for example, I know one guy that owned a kosher market with catering, with everything. He doesn't even believe in God. None of his family believes in, in anything. He even has a son who must thinks he's from Texas. Like he's one of these hunters that hunts uh, crocodiles. He thinks he's a hunter of crocodiles, the kid. He has no connection whatsoever to the Torah, but he's in charge of providing food for Am Yisrael that, that, that actually keeps Torah and mitzvot and is worried about kosher food. Why? There's more money in it if you know how to do it. 
you know the customer is going to go to you because there's not that many kosher restaurants and kosher like there is in the non-kosher world. So unfortunately what happens is, is that when you go to a place that's owned by a non-kosher person, then you're making a mistake simply because this non-kosher person doesn't care enough about his own soul. If he's not keeping kosher, if he doesn't care about the Torah, if he doesn't care about Hashem, or he just, he's one of these people that believes in Hashem in his own heart, he has his own religion, he obviously doesn't care about Shabbat, doesn't care about mitzvot, doesn't care about kosher at all. He's just in it purely for the business. This is an unreliable person. Why? Because if he doesn't care about his own soul, why should he care about you as the customer? This is why in Israel, for example, someone that does not keep Shabbat, they do not give him a kosher certification. If he doesn't keep Shabbat, they don't give him the kosher certification. Why? The same exact reason I just told you. If he doesn't care enough about his own soul to keep Shabbat, why should he care about our souls to feed us, you know, a kosher food instead of nevilot v'trefot, you know, stray animals and non-kosher animals and so on. So this is one of the key ingredients to understand. Now, what do you do? What do you? What can you possibly do? Who can you trust? In reality, there's very, very little, very little room to avoid a trust. So people that are really makpidim, people that are really serious about religion, generally don't eat out. At least not often, and at least not a, uh, just anywhere. Like I know Rav Ze'ev from, um, from New York. He doesn't eat out. As a matter of fact, he doesn't eat anywhere other than his own house. He says he, I, he was a shochet. He was a, uh, a butcher himself in Argentina, in Uruguay, in different parts of the world. He says, I've seen the world. He says, if you saw what I saw, you wouldn't eat anywhere either. He's a shochet. He's, like, he's telling you. He eats in his own house. And he gets it from a specific person. So the real gdolim, both in Israel and in America, usually don't eat out. And if they do, it's only with specific people. Second thing is, if they're going to eat somewhere, they go and check the kitchen. They see, who's the mashkiach? Does the mashkiach know what he's talking about? Because sometimes... There's a mashkiach there, but the guy's an imbecile. He doesn't know anything. I know one guy who just became a mashkiach no less than a year ago, maybe eight, nine months ago. The guy doesn't even know anything. He doesn't know anything about Shabbat, doesn't know anything about anything. He's actually, I think he's a little crazy, to be honest with you. But he's a mashkiach in a restaurant. He went, he took a course for $150, and he's now a mashkiach in a restaurant. He's a mashkiach in a restaurant. Baruch Hashem, there's another mashkiach in a restaurant that I do know that is reliable. He's actually a Tamid Chacham. But this guy is also Mashgiach and he's borderline crazy. He doesn't know anything, nothing. But he's a Mashgiach. He tell him, listen, did you wash the vegetables? He goes, for what? <laughs> what do you mean? It's, uh, don't, it's, then they already wash them in the factory? Like they don't, he doesn't know anything. How did he pass? Yeah, you can pass. You're a robot. You pass. You know, any robot can pass these tests. So... It's not so simple. It's not like if there's a mashkiach by default, okay, it's kosher. It's not. If it's meat, it's much more difficult. You have to mamash know who this mashkiach is. Does he have yirat shamayim? Is he scared of Hashem or is he just there to make money? Is he there for a couple of hours and leaves? There's a couple of places that are known that they have a guy, they just pay him off, both in Israel and America. They pay him, they pay him a couple of dollars. He comes, he pretends like he opens the fridge and he leaves for the rest of the day. He doesn't watch anything, he doesn't wash anything, he doesn't do anything. He just collects money. Why do they do it? Number one, they don't care. 
The owners don't care. Number two, it's cheaper than having a mashkiach as a full-time employee. Full-time employee is full-time salary. But if I comes here and I just give him a thousand bucks a month, and he pretends to be a mashkiach, and I pretend to have kosher food, that's it, finished. So it's, well, it's, it's not so simple. It's not so simple, these things. Because again, a lot of these places, a, uh, they don't care. Quite frankly, they don't care. They don't care about kosher food. That's the same thing that I told everyone about the whole issue of kosher wigs. The person that is the runs the kosher certification of kosher wigs doesn't believe that wigs need to be kosher. So it's the same argument. If you don't think they need to be kosher, then what's the point of, of you actually running a kosher organization? You don't believe in your own organization. If the guy doesn't keep kosher himself, doesn't eat kosher food himself, how are you going to have him as the mashkiach? He doesn't care about kosher. Why would he care about you? So if somebody brings a donkey, because he got it at a discount from one of these Arabs, because that's what they eat over there. They eat, they eat donkeys, they eat camels, they eat pretty much anything that moves. And he brings a donkey meat to the restaurant, he brings camel meat to the restaurant, and it's cheaper than a cow, it's cheaper than something good, or he brings you a, a, an animal that died from an accident or a disease, he just cuts out the diseased part, but you can get it for a, uh, 10 cents and a dollar. If you don't keep, if you don't have Yirat Shamaim, you're going to buy it in a second. Why? You can make 10 times your money now. So it's not even just somebody that keeps kosher, because even if he himself keeps kosher, even if he himself keeps kosher, it doesn't mean he has Yirat Shamaim. It just means he keeps kosher. For him himself, he keeps kosher. For you, who cares? For himself, he keeps kosher. This is the same thing of some of these uh, people that call themselves rabbis. And they say, no, the only mitzvah that you need to do is just give tzedakah and everything's going to be okay. And he asked the guy, okay, then why do you keep mitzvot for? If the only thing I need to do is give tzedakah, if everyone's going to be saved by the Mashiach, if everything's, every Jew has a share of the world to come, why bother keep mitzvot? For what? Just live like the Germans. Live like, live like Amalek. Live like anyone else. Why, why keep mitzvot? Why bother? There's no answer for that. Why? Because they know it's a lie. So for you, it's okay to eat taref. For them, they want to eat kosher. This is why it's not so simple. It's not mamash, not so simple. Right now, I'm trying to... There is one shochet in uh, Muncie, New York, that I'm trying to make arrangements to get them to send us meat or chicken or something. Because again, it's very difficult. I'm not saying anything bad about my, the local. I don't know anything bad about anyone local to me. So let's not get it confused. Let's not, I'm not saying uh, automatically that your local butcher is no good. No, don't say that. But him, I know he's good. And that guy, that specific company, I know he's good. If I can get it, I don't care how much it costs. If it costs three times as much, I don't care. Why? It's very difficult. It's very, very difficult. So you have to understand that Torah says that when we eat non-kosher... It says, "Venitmetem bam." You become impurified. What does it mean? Become impurified? You become spiritually stupid, which means I can learn Torah the whole day, break my head the whole day, and understand nothing. You know, hard is to learn all day, and then you understand nothing anyway. Why? Because you ate a non-kosher burger, because you ate non-kosher chicken. Someone that values learning and actually tries to learn at least. At the very least, you want to understand what you're learning. At the very least, you want to retain it. At the very least, you want to understand, you know, connect to it and, and enforce it into your life. 
But you see, sometimes you're learning and nothing comes in, could be the food. Could be the food. So this is something you have to be very, very careful with. I also heard something crazy. I don't know if it's true or not. But uh, supposedly there's some guy, there's some uh, rabbi, again, these rabbis, well, I, don't know what's, I don't know what's today. It's, it's almost like a curse word to be a rabbi. I don't know. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to start taking off the rabbi title. I don't want to be a rabbi anymore. Uh, some rabbi says that, no, you don't have to check your eggs anymore. Like if there's blood in them or not, it's okay. You can check, just eat it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's very rare. What's very rare? You buy an organic, a dozen organic eggs, 10 out of 12 have blood in them. On the average, it's 50%. In some cases, even 10 out of 12. That's why my wife stopped buying uh, organic eggs. What do you mean you can't, don't, don't check? It's people, mamash, I don't know where they get these rules. Maybe they just get sick of the Torah and they just create their own Torah. I don't know what happens. This is why Rabotai Karim, someone that does not learn Musar every single day, it's impossible for them to have Yirat Shemayim. Impossible for them to fear Hashem. Without learning the Omek Adin, the depth of the judgment, without them fearing the judgment, fearing the punishment, it's impossible for you to trust them. Impossible. And the Gemara says, a person that does not have Yirat Shemaim, you're not allowed to be in a closed room with him. Why? He may kill you. What do you mean he may kill you? I don't, he's a nice guy. He may kill you. Imamash may kill you. To what extent? To what extent? The extent is mamash scary. I'll tell you this chidush, it's mamash scary. Sometimes you have people making sins. Sometimes. Only sometimes. Sometimes small sins, sometimes big sins. Like for example, today, I think we arrived at the 50th level of Tumah. Remember I told you that the Sfarim HaKadoshim say that Am Yisrael was on the 49th level of Tumah, of impurity, before uh, Hashem took him out of Egypt. And Orach Chaim HaKadosh, uh, Rav Chaim ben Atal, says that we're going to arrive at the 50th level before Mashiach comes. We're going to get to the 50th level. But it says that if we got to the 50th level in Egypt, we wouldn't survive. So how are we going to get to the 50th level and the Mashiach comes? Says because then we didn't have the Torah yet. Now we have the Torah, therefore we can, arrive, we can get to the 50th level of Tumah, of impurity before Mashiach comes. So every day, my Rav and I, we talk about different things, and some things, unfortunately, very often bad things uh, that happen in the world. And you see, ah, we reached the 50th level. Mankind has deteriorated even worse. And the next day, it's surprised again, no, no, today is worse. And the next day, oh, today is worse. Every day, it's like, no, today it's 50. If it's not 50, maybe I, between us, I think we're at level 2,000. But anyway, today, Mamash, I'm convinced we got to 50th level. I read a news report today. I couldn't read the whole report. I just read Mamash two lines. Number one, I didn't have much time. Number two, I, was, I almost vomited. What's the headline? You see a picture of a cute little girl. Six-year-old girl. Six-year-old little cute girl. What's the pro- What's the headline? Six-year-old boy tells his parents that he wants to have his sex change, and parents agree. They're just fighting the law now. A six-year-old boy dresses like a girl and tells his parents, I want to be a girl. And the parents say, yeah, you know what, maybe you should be. 
and they're trying to get the lawyers to approve to remove his sex organs. Hashem Rachem. What six year old? What does a six year old know? Bechlal. The Ben Yishchai says, "Allah Shalom." He says that until the age of six years old, the child is no different than a monkey in intellect. He doesn't know much. He doesn't have his free. He doesn't have everything there yet. He's cute. He doesn't have everything yet. Meaning that that six-year-old is mamash a hundred percent copy machine of his parents. Only reason why he thinks there's deformed thoughts is because of his stupid parents. Only reason is because of his stupid parents. What really should happen is they should take the parents and throw them into a zoo with the monkeys and tell them, listen, you and the monkeys figure out how to survive. You do not belong among the rest of mankind. People like you do not belong around. You don't have the right to live among mankind. Why? Look what you did to the six-year-old kid. Six-year-old angel, Miskin, never did nothing in his life. Now he thinks he's a girl. No, he was born that way. What born that way? Well, is something wrong with you people? Born that way. We're born that way. He's six years old. He doesn't know anything yet. He just got out of diapers a couple of years ago. What does he know at six years old? He knows what? Olive bed. What does he know at six years old? So today I was almost convinced we got to the 50th level. Hopefully we did so the Mashiach comes already because I don't know how much I can take it. So sometimes we make sins, sometimes we make sins. The Gemara in Masechet Gitin, page 57a, says that one day, all of a sudden, the entire market fell, hype, felt hyperinflation. In the morning, the price of bread was $5. By the afternoon, 500 All of a sudden. And then they found out it's all because a father and a son both decided to rape a... Um, engaged woman on Yom Kippur. So obviously the magnitude of the sin, we understand this is insanity. These two people not only make a sin, but they do it on Yom Kippur with a woman that's in essence considered a married woman. Fine. But what does it have to do with inflation? What does one do with the other? Kaputai. Call Israel Aravim All of Israel is connected. When you learn Torah, someone in France is not going to be a Melech Shabbat because of the power of the Torah that you're learning. When you learn Torah, someone in Israel is going to leave his non Jewish uh, spouse or friend or whoever it is. When you bring Dushah to the world, you beat the Tumah. When you create Tumah, more Tumah will be created. Everyone, all of a sudden, got more connected to material because of the sin. But here you see that the magnitude of the sin is disgusting. This is 2,000 years ago. So we see that what Shlomo HaMelech said 3,000 years ago in Ecclesiastes, and Chadash Tachat Hashemesh, there's nothing new under the sun, is mamash full proof. Because this type of sin is no different than today's craziness. 
It sounds like he's talking about the, 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 some other event that's happening or something. But this happened. There's nothing new under the sun. All the sins of today happened yesterday. All the sins of today will happen tomorrow. Nothing new under the sun. So why do I tell you this awful, disturbing story? The Chidush is, Rabotai, is that the Gemara says that on Yom Kippur, the Satan, the Malach HaMavet, the Yetzirah, which all three are the same thing, has no power over you. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's off. It's finished. Army says in Beteknesset, they're praying. He doesn't bother them. Wait, so how do they make such a sin? How do they make, how does a father and a son, needless to say, a father and a son make such a horrible sin? How? If there's no Yetzara, the Gemara explains, if someone doesn't fix their midot, their desires will make them murder other people without Yetzara. Just purely their desires. Yetzara doesn't need to help them. Yetzara doesn't need to be involved. Why? If they do not know how to control their desires by fixing their midot, nothing will help them. Yetzara doesn't even have to fix, doesn't have to do anything. He's on vacation. You're already doing the job for him. Meaning even on the day that Yetzara didn't work, they had such desires for for sex crimes. They did it in the day that Yetzara was off. If we do not fix our midot, Rabotai Karim, we are no different than lions and the zebras and everyone in the jungle. No different. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, can we say that uh, this is a state of mind? For example, going back a little bit to the Kodesh oh, King, uh, I pray with my dependents, and I was very happy until the day that uh, a surprise told me, no, they're Pasu. Yeah. We need to fix them. And then I had the option of people praying with them, knowing that they're not kosher, right. or send them to fix it. It's the same thing with the kosher plate. 100%. CSI, okay, I'm going to enter. Whatever the sign. A hundred percent. It's a person can have such uncontrollable desire for food that even if he knows it's not kosher, he'll pretend it's kosher because he likes the food there. Or oh, I like their chicken wings. Yeah, but it's not kosher. But it has a kosher sign. Maybe they fixed it by now. Come on, judge them favorably. Why are you so mean? All of a sudden, it becomes a uh, chacham and all the halachot of of, uh, of kav schud. He's a chassid. He's bal shem tov. He's uh, every, everything. He's great. All of a sudden, don't embarrass the person. You know, you have to give him business. He's a Jew after all. Maybe I'm going to do kiruv there. You know, it's like somebody making making an argument to go to a uh, a mixed gym. No, I'm going to do kiruv there. With who? With, with, with the half-naked girl or the half-naked guy? Which one are you going to do cure with? The homosexual or the lesbian? Which one? Which one are you going to do cure with? No, it's, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's cure. You're not allowed to go there. You don't understand? You, it's better off you die and not go into such a place. It's no different than going to the beach. A mixed beach. It's better off you die and don't go. I tell you guys what you don't understand. Maybe sometimes, you, you know, sometimes we have... Such klipot, so many sins we made, we just mamash don't understand. I'll tell you what, what, it, what it means to be a Jew. In the old days, Imach Shimon Vizicham, the Christians, used to steal our kids. They used to steal our kids. One woman, 
it's mamash a true story. One woman, miskena, her husband died, and she had a little boy. She raised the kid by herself. When the kid was eight years old, Imach Shimam, the Christians, kidnapped him. They kidnapped the kid and they kidnapped a bunch of kids from the community. She came to the rabbi with asking one of the Gdolei for a special blessing. But since the rabbis don't see women directly, unless it's extreme cases, she just gave a note to the gabai. Gave a note to the gabai and he gave this to the rabbi. The gabai gives the note to the Gdolei Opens the note. He's shocked. Get her. Get her right now. Get her right now. Get her right now. Get the woman. Get the woman. The kabai goes, gets the woman. He sees this is a religious woman. Kisuyosh with a scarf, obviously. Tadika. The Rav Asa, please explain to me, why did you ask me to pray for your son to die. She says, When my husband died, it was very difficult. But I said, you know what? As long as I'm close to my son, he'll stay a Jew. But now that the Christians stole him, I have no control. And i rather he die than become a Christian. Do you understand Abotai, what it means to be a Jew? Do you understand what it means? It's not a joke. People want to convert. Yeah, yeah, I like the payas. I like the hats. I like the holidays. You guys have a holiday every other day, it seems like. It's not a joke to be a Jew. It's a big responsibility. The whole world is, 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 is survives because of you. It's not just because you like to read books. Or you like to write on Facebook that you read books. For some reason, Facebook has a lot of Talmidei Chachamim. Everybody likes to write. They're all authors. They've read three books in their lives, but they, but they wrote six. So, if we don't work on our Midot, we're doomed. We're doomed. These people that sell different products, food, and so on, you have to be very careful. How careful? Listen. As careful as possible. I don't think that there's much of a problem with canned food and closed products that you get from factories simply because it's a multi-billion dollar business. And the kosher industry is very, very careful with it. And they send, send alerts. And there's uh, different kosher organizations have alert systems you can sign up to on email. And they'll send you alerts. Listen, so-and-so, uh, the soup or this product or whatever it is, by mistake... Uh, put that it has that it's kosher, but it's not. We're you know implementing correcting actions, and they usually do it right away. You know sometimes it's just a printing error. It's not intentional. But with the restaurants, it's a much more difficult problem. The reason why is because with food, the kosher industry knows where you know all of these food makers. You want to be kosher, you don't want to be kosher. They know it's a, each one is a multi-billion-dollar company. So they're going to watch the food in the supermarket. They have people that goes in the supermarket and see what, what labels everybody has. The problem is with the restaurants is that if a guy just decides to open up shop, he puts a million, two million dollars into his fancy schmancy restaurant, and he just decides to call, you know, to, you know, 
print, plagiarize some type of a, uh, or fake some type of a uh, kosher certificate, which is exactly 10 minutes worth of work. He puts it on the wall. No one knows what it's supposed to look like. And even You could fake it anyway, even if it's exactly the same. It's not that difficult to forge anything these days. He puts it on the wall. 99% of people are not going to double check. And the kosher industry is not going to know until after the fact, until somebody complains. Why? They don't know he exists. It's not like it's the food that's a factory that makes millions and millions of products every year that they track them anyway because they may have a few kosher and a few non-kosher products. Same company has a kosher section, non-kosher section. So they track them, the two don't mix. When it's a kosher restaurant, the kosher industry does not know it exists unless it's kosher. Meaning if it's not kosher, they're not going to, what are they going to track every single restaurant that opens? That's impossible, especially in America. Why? Statistically, in the business world, 71 or 72% of all the restaurants fail within the first six months. They, com- they shut down, so it's impossible. Just in New York, just in New York, if you went to a different restaurant for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day for a full year, you still wouldn't finish even a big percentage of the restaurants just in New York. That's how many restaurants there are in, 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 in the woods. Enormous amount. It's impossible for them to track it. So it's a very big problem, Rabotai. It's a very big problem. What's the solution? I have no idea. Pray to Hashem. Learn how to cook too. Pray to Hashem. Yes, the city permits the food is one thing. That's FDA. Kosher is two different things. No, I'm saying, the people can work together with the, can share a database. Can, Mashiach comes, they'll work together. Until then, FDA and the kosher industry are not necessarily yeah, working together. Like I don't know how many there are. I don't know how many there aren't. All I know is that it's a very, very big problem. It's a very big problem. It's a very, very big problem. Can, it's tough. It's, listen, it's not, it's not an easy solution. It's not an easy solution. And really, the reality is the uh, you know this. What's the root of the problem? The root of the problem is that Amisla is not religious. That's the root of the problem. It's just like I was telling you guys a story the other day that one time there was a bridge that broke, and the city council got together, the treasurer came, the financier came, the investors came. The donors came, the president came, the mayors came, everybody came, all the big wigs came, and they're all discussing the new plan. What's the plan? Let's build a hundred million dollar hospital on the bottom of the bridge with the best facilities and the best MRIs and the best CAT scans and the best trucks and the best technology. So as soon as people fall off the bridge, because it's broken, they can immediately go into our establishment and we could heal them right away. Give them the highest likelihood of living. And then the janitor that's listening to all of it says, hey, excuse me, um, can I ask a question? All these seven to eight figure net worth people are looking at this guy. He's like, what do you want? We want to know where the bathroom is. You're the guy that cleans it. What do you want? No, no, I'm just asking. Instead of spending a hundred million dollars and building a hospital on the bottom of the broken bridge, why don't you spend the money on fixing the bridge. Instead of worrying about can we make the FDA and the kosher industry become friends, 
can we make the different parts of the kosher industry, the OU and the U and the ORB and this B and the different, there's so many different kosher persons, CRC and uh, Star K and Just K and all these different things. There's a lot of them. It's not just one. Make them all work together. Like we want the CIA and the FBI to work together, and they, uh, but they don't work. Instead of worrying about that, let's get Amisla to do tshuva. Why? If Amisla does tshuva, we don't have to worry about if they're selling taref or not. Why? <laughs> you realize that they have, that they believe in the Torah. Now until then, until then, I believe, if it was up to me, I would enforce a law that whoever owns a kosher establishment must prove that they're 100% religious. Must prove that they're 100% religious. I would remove all of these non-Jewish employees. No non-Jewish employees at all. I know that a lot of people hire these non-Jewish employees in their restaurant because it's cheaper, but I don't, uh, I don't believe that's a good idea because, again, say uh, they have their own rules. They're not obligated to keep kosher. Why should they keep it for you? And you can't tell me it's because they want to try to you know, take care of their job. They're getting five bucks an hour. What job? It's not like you're giving them a pension. It's not like you're giving them so, so much money that they have to... If you, get, if you fire them, the next guy's going to hire them five minutes later. So that's the thing. It's, 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 it's not an easy situation to fix, but if you become very strict and you make sure that the employees, the owners, everybody really actually is religious, actually believes in the product, they use the product, then okay, then you can trust the place. But if not, then for what? So now that we finished the introduction and now we're into the shiur, let's go into our Mishnah. So yesterday we started with part one of this Mishnah in Avot, Hei Chet, 5.8. And it says, Asara dvarim nivru be'erev Shabbat, ben ashmashot ve'eluhen, pi'a aretz u'pi'a be'er, pi'a aton ve'akeshet ve'aman ve'amate ve'ashamir, akta ve'amikta ve'aluchot, ve'esh omrim af ha'mazikin u'kvurato shel Moshe, Translation, 10 things were created on Shabbat Eve at twilight, meaning before Shabbat, but between the time of when Friday ends and Shabbat begins. And they are the mouth of the earth, the mouth of the well, the mouth of Bilam's donkey, the rainbow, the manna bread, the staff of Moshe Rabbeinu, the Shamir worm that cut the stones for Bet HaMikdash and for the Choshen, the script, meaning the, uh, the, the Hebrew alphabet, Sfat HaKodesh, the inscription, meaning the tool that wrote the uh, original Torah that Hashem Yitbarach wrote with white fire, uh, black fire on white fire, the uh, tablets, meaning the original two that we had the Ten Commandments in last week's parasha. Some say the uh, destructive spirits, i.e. demons. Moshe Rabbeinu's grave, the ram of our forefather Avraham, and some say tongues which are made with tongues. Okay, so from the way it looks, since we're already in the hour into the show, it looks like we're probably going to have more than one lecture because each one of these things is a lecture of his own. Now yesterday, yesterday, it's a series of within a series. It's like a dream within a dream. So yesterday... We went over the intro of the Mishnah itself, of these ten things. Why these ten things? Why specifically this time? Then we talked about why 
uh, the Pi'aretz, the mouth of the earth, that swallowed Korach ve'adato. Why this is uh, what we learned from that. And now we're going to go into the next one, which is Pia Be'el. Pia Be'el, which is the mouth of the well. Which well? The well that we had that followed Am Yisrael with fresh, clean water for 40 years throughout the time that we were in the desert in the merit of Miriam. In the merit of Miriam. So, the Chachamim explain that we see from the Torah, how do we know that it was in the merit of Miriam? How do we know? Maybe it was in the merit of Moshe Rabbeinu. Maybe it was in the merit of Aaron. So the Gemara in Masechet Megillah says, exactly like you said, that as soon as she died, the well stopped. The well stopped. Now this well literally traveled with them. It traveled with them for wherever they were for 40 years. Imagine there's a river of water traveling with you. Wow. So in the merit of her, it stopped. But why did it stop? Why did it stop? Because we did not mourn Miriam appropriately. We did not mourn Miriam appropriately. So one of the first things that we learn in the Gemara in Masechet Moet Katan, it says that why do people's children, Hashem Achem, why do people's children die? Why do they get punished and Hashem kills their children? When they do not mourn the death of kosher people. Even more so when they do not mourn the death of the Gdoleado, of Chachamim, of Tzadikim, of Prophets, and so on. So when we didn't mourn the death of Miriam, Hashem implemented the punishment and stopped the water. Because now we maybe we didn't realize, or apparently we didn't realize, that the only reason why we got all of this Shefa, all of this water that helped us, helped the animals, helped everyone survive, was because of her schut, her merit. If we didn't mourn her, that means we don't realize it. So Hashem says, okay, now you're going to realize it. How are you going to realize it? When I take it away. This teaches us another lesson that sometimes we only realize what we have after we lose it. Which is the reason why sometimes Hashem will take something away from you because you don't appreciate it. There was one time a woman that would come to Rav Nisimi again, Allah Shalom, and she would non-stop complain about her husband. Non-stop. She complained about her husband. Oh, he does this, and he does this, and he does this, and he does this, and he doesn't this, and he does Oh, religious woman. She just let her open her mouth, complain from here till Sunday. Non-stop complaints. Misken, the guy never really said a word. Never said anything to the, uh, the husband. One of these wicked wives, unfortunately. The Maharaj said, you have a, you have a uh, wicked wife, you're not going to see Gainom. Why? Having a bad wife is worse than Gainom. It's every day. So now, she complains about her husband, Misken. One day, she calls Rav Nisimi again, crying hysterical. He knew something bad happened. And he says, what happened? She says, my husband died. Husband died in some car accident. What am I going to do? So he goes and he visits the house. 
And what does she start crying about? The best husband in the world. What a tzaddik. Where am I going to find somebody like him? What great midot. He never said a word. He never complained. What a tzaddik. What a, why didn't you say these things when he was alive, you machshefa? Why didn't you say these things when he was alive? Why? Oh, it's just, you know, I get, you know, you don't appreciate what you have? Hashem says, okay, let me take it away from you, and then you'll appreciate it. But sometimes, but sometimes, sometimes, Hashem gives you warnings. Hashem gives you warnings. So, when we didn't appreciate the water, Hashem took it away. That's the first thing. The second thing that we learned from the Pia Be'er, the mouth of the well of Miriam, is that the entire world exists for the sake of the tzaddik. All of the shefa in the world, all of the, all of the food, all of the air, all of the surplus of everything, all of the, everything exists for the tzaddik. It's not for everyone else. It's only for him. Because his merit, you eat. Because of her merit, you eat. The goyim eat, the Jews eat, the animals, everyone eats because of the tzaddikim. That's it. They're only alive for them. We learn this from Jeremiah. If not for my covenant day and night, the rules of the world will cease to exist. If people are not glued to Torah, day and night, 24 hours a day, somebody in the world is learning Torah, the rules of the world will cease to exist. No gravity, no air, no oxygen, no uh, nothing. Why? All of the shefa in the world, all of the surplus, all of the good that Hashem brings to the world is only for the merit of the tzaddikim. Even the reward for the reshaim is because of the tzaddikim. If there was no more tzaddikim, no more world. When there was no tzaddikim in Sodom and Gomorrah, Hashem said, I'm going to, to Avraham Bavinu, I'm going to destroy them. But he still told them, before he destroyed them, why is tzaddik? I'm just letting you know, I'm not taking it away from you. I'm destroying it because there's nothing good there. It's your world, you're tzaddik. It's your world, I'm taking it, I'm destroying this part. Why? It's bad. Avraham said, oh no, maybe there's a tzaddik there, maybe it's 50. No, it's not 50. 45, no, no, it's not 40. 40, 35, 30, nothing. No tzaddik, destroy it, Hashem. No more argument. Destroy it. They're all going against you, destroy it. He didn't argue past that. He says if there's no tzaddikim there, for what? Now imagine, Rabotai, that all of Sodom and Gomorrah is on Mamash, is about, Hashem is about to sign off the atomic bomb. He's about to press the button, like Trump wants to do to North Korea. And North Korea wants to do to Trump. He was, he's about to press the button, and then all of a sudden, little tzaddik moves in. A little avrech makes 200 bucks a month. He moves into town. He says, oh, no pressing the button. Why? A little avrech makes 200 bucks a month. He lives in town. He lives in town. I'm not going to destroy the whole place. I'm not going to destroy. Why the one tzaddik? And what happens to people? They don't know that the whole, they are only alive because of him. What do they say? Why don't you go to the army? Why don't you pay more taxes? Why don't you, why do you have so many kids? Why do you, they don't realize the only reason they're alive is because of him. 
all of these stupid people, these lefty losers that complain against the religious people, they don't realize the only reason you're alive is because of the people you're complaining against. Only reason you're alive. This is the other thing that we learned from Pia Be'er. Last but not least, we also learn that one of the ten remembrances that we say every day after Shachrit, at least we should say every day after Shachrit, is the whole Ma'aseh that happened, the whole event that happened with Miriam, a tzaddikit, that was a prophet, a holy prophet, one of the seven women that was a prophet mentioned in the Torah, that made a mistake. What did she make a mistake? She spoke inappropriately about Moshe Rabbeinu. About her own brother. It's not like we speak bad about Moshe Rabbeinu. She's a sister. Technically, he's a little brother. After all, even though Tzadik, Kadosh, everything, he's still a little brother. So she said, oh, you know, maybe Moshe is taking a little bit too much where uh, he left his wife. Why did he leave his wife? He's a prophet. We're prophets. What's so bad about that? It's just conversation. In our eyes, nothing wrong with it. Hashem says, Lashonara. Lashonara by tzedeket. Even a tzedek can make a sin. That's why the Mesilat uh, Yesharim says, there's no such thing as a tzedek who doesn't make a sin. There's no such thing. Everybody makes sins. Different people, different levels. En chasid velo yichta. There's nobody that's so righteous he doesn't actually make a sin. Everybody makes sins. So don't beat yourself up so much you made a sin. Get up and go again. Get up, do tshuva. That's the point. That's why tshuva is part of the 613 mitzvot. Do tshuva. Now don't make sense to do tshuva, by the way. Don't use this as a tool. Hey, they'll say, oh, I do tshuva, mitzvah, mitzvah. You know, I'm, how am I going to do tshuva if I don't make sense for the Rav? So now I can do, I can make the sins, I go with a non-Jew, and then I'll do tshuva tomorrow. It's a mitzvah, no? How many how many passes when the clock stops? How many? How, when the clock stops, we don't know. Even David Amir didn't know. Some people think they're going to live to 120. Some people live only till 20. My cousin t- died when he was 20-something. He thought he was going to live to 120 minimum. Technically, he probably thought he was going to live forever because his father has $100 million. So they figured that by the time he gets to 120, they're going to figure out the cure for life and people are not going to die. But... Hashem had different plans. Miskinim. Miskinim. The point of Zabotai is that even a righteous person makes a mistake and even a righteous person gets punished. Hashem punished Miriam with no holding back. He gave a tzarat. Now, even though the entire nation prayed for refuah it didn't work. It didn't work. Why? The victim. I had to pray for her. Who? Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu prayed five words, finished. She got healed. Imagine the prayer of Moshe Rabbeinu was more significant than the entire nation of millions. This also teaches us about the tshuva of Lashon Ara. When we talk something bad about somebody, it's not just to say, I'm sorry. Like a lot of people say, hey, listen, sorry, right? And they don't really mean it, and they don't really care, and they don't really have... The same passion for the sorry as they did for spreading the Lashon Ara. You know, when somebody has a good Lashon Ara, they're like excited to share it. No, you never know what I just 
I'm telling you what I just heard, what a story I have. It's hot news off the press. So excited to spread Lashon You don't realize you're murdering people right now. His kids may not be accepted in school now. His wife may divorce him. He may get fired. People are going to throw him out of the community. And it may be false anyway. Did you double check? Did you triple check? Somebody came to another, said, listen, I have something to tell you about your friend. So the guy said, hold on a second. It's about my friend? Okay. Can I ask you a few questions? First, is it positive or negative? He goes, no, it's, it's negative. It's not good. Okay, so you want to tell me something negative about my friend? Yes. Okay. Is this affect me in any way? No, come to think about it. No, not really. It's, okay, so you want to tell me something that's negative about my friend? That doesn't affect me. Yes. Okay. Last question. Is it true or not? I don't know. I don't know if it's true. Oh, you didn't verify it? No. Okay, so let me just get this straight. You want to tell me something about my friend that is negative, that is possibly not true, and it doesn't affect me. No, thank you. That's Lashon HaRa, Rabotai. That's Lashon HaRa. 99.9% of Lashon HaRa has, not, has all of these three in it. And this kills people every single day. What do we learn from Miriam? Every single day we learn from Miriam. If you do these mitzvot of, of, of remembering these ten specific things, what do you learn? Be quiet. Be quiet. Unless it's for toilet. Unless you're trying to save somebody. Unless you know there's a speaker that kills souls. He tells people that there's no punishment. Unless you know that somebody's selling non-kosher food. Unless you know somebody is really, uh, you know, he's a uh, he's really a drug addict, but he's acting like he's a tzaddik and he's uh, about wants to marry your cousin or something. Something's going to affect her life. You have to do something. You can't just let her marry this drug addict and only find out after she has two kids with him. There are certain things that you have to speak up. It's a mitzvah to speak up, and there are certain things you have to shut up. Obviously, everything has to be done in a certain time, in a certain place, and so on. Try to do it even indirectly. Maybe try to get the Rav involved. Uh, do it privately. Have them admit what they're doing instead of you exposing them. There's a lot of different things that you need to do. And you have to be very, very careful with. And it's very, very important to learn the laws of Lashon But nonetheless, we learn from Miriam Kedusha, Miriam the Prophet. So many things. Learn it that even someone that's as righteous as Miriam can make a mistake. As, as great as she was, she can make a mistake of saying Lashon Yeah. What happens to those people who see Shema? Because most of the stuff they say are not even true. The stuff they publicize and say is most of it. They punish. What's, 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 what's the question? Punish, punish, punish. Let's say, listen, if it's if it's a genome of a fire or genome of snow, it doesn't matter. It's still genome. Okay, so next one is Piatun, the mouth of Bilam's donkey. There's a pasuk in the, in the Torah, in a um, in uh, the book of uh, in, in Numbers, chapter twenty-two, verse twenty-eight. and Hashem opened the mouth of the donkey. What does it mean? Oh, Hashem opened the mouth of the donkey. 
Bilam Rasha was the prophet of the Goyim. So the Torah asks, why did Hashem even make Bilam? Why did He allow him to have the special powers? And the response is, is that Hashem, everything He does is measure for measure. Just like he has darkness, there's light. Just like there's a mitzvah, there's a sin. Tall, short. And so on and so forth. Now he gave Am Yisrael the prophet of all prophets. Moshe Rabbeinu. But now, at the end of the times, when all the goyim see the truth, they see the Mashiach, they see the Goel, the Gemara in Masechet Abu Dazara says, oh, they're all going to complain. Why are they going to complain? They're going to say, listen, of course your nation is righteous, and they learned Torah and everything. Why? Look at the leader they had. They had Moshe Rabbeinu. If we would have had someone like Moshe Rabbeinu, we would have also done tshuva. So Hashem says, you have to provide the, the medicine before the ailment. What did He do? He created Bilam. And Bilam had one specific power that even Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have. Even Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have. And that power was, the Gemara says, in a couple of places, that he knew the rega, the moment that Hashem gets angry. And in that moment, in that moment, he can ask Hashem to do anything. Including curse somebody, kill somebody, and he actually tried implementing it by actually cursing all of Amisad to kill them. And it didn't work. Now before all this happened, Bilam who was as impure as it gets. The Gemara asks, how could somebody so impure get the pure, purity of prophecy? Because prophecy is Kedusha. How can someone so impure get Kedusha? How? He got it. Bilam is known as someone that had only one eye. Meaning one of his eyes was just a hole. Meaning it's the only part of his entire body that didn't sin. So the prophecy would enter through that. That's what the Gemara says. So, when Bilam was uh, going to try to make a, a lot of money by uh, cursing Am Yisrael and doing the business deal with Balak, Hashem tried rebuking him, tried waking him up before it's too late. And he tried doing it in an indirect way. And one of the things that uh, he did is he opened the mouth of his donkey. He opened the mouth of his donkey, meaning he gave his donkey the ability to speak. Speak like you and I. And what did the donkey say? Donkey rebuked him. Donkey gave him musal. Because he was complaining, he was hitting the donkey. And donkey's like, why are you hitting me? Why are you blaming me on uh, your, uh, your misery? Wasn't I always good to you? Wasn't I your wife yesterday and the day before? So the Gemara asks, what does it mean more than not your wife? It says, Bil'am was so impure, the donkey was Mamash's wife. He would have relations with it every night. So someone that's this Tameh, disgusting human being, had the same powers as Moshe Rabbeinu. And yet he chose to be Tameh. Each one of us is given the power to be our own version of Moshe Rabbeinu. Our own version of Sarai Menu. You could be a tzaddik, or you can use the same tools that Hashem gave you to be a rasha. Up to you. Same price.
No one can go up to Shemayim and say, no, I had a tough life. You had a tougher life than Moshe? Everybody, you saved everyone, they still cursed you out. They still thought, you know, said bad things about you. They still said you stole their money, even though you're the only one that gave the money. They still said you're stealing our wives, even though you freed their wives. All they did is complain against you. And the one thing you ever wanted, you only asked for one thing your entire life. Enter Eretz Yisrael, you didn't get. You had a tougher life than that. Oh, you know, but it was different back then. Wow, what's so different? Their bathroom was in the middle of uh, the, uh, the, the road. Yours is, you have 18 of them in your house. What's different? You have a much more pleasing life. Much easier, much more convenient life. If they needed to take a shower, they have to go to some well or some, uh, uh, some river, which in the, in the uh, desert, under normal circumstances, doesn't actually exist very often. What do you have? You have two, three, four showers in your house. What? Food? Food? Look at the food you have. You open everybody's normal person's fridge. It's full with uh, fresh food. After two days, they throw stuff out. They have so much food. What's so different? If anything, your life today is much easier. To be a Jew today is much easier than it was 3,000 years ago. Oh no, but listen, but back then, they didn't have all of the desires. All of the desires that we have today, you know, the phones, we're addicted to phones, there's girls, there's this, there's that. There was other things. There was other phones. There was other girls. There was other... And Chadash Tachat Hashem is nothing new under the sun. The same Yetzirah that's trying to take over your life today is trying to do it then. If you actually look at some of the sins that were made during the times of the Bet HaMikdash 2,500 years ago, you would think, Mamash, you're reading the uh, Vogue magazine of today with all the Tumarats in it. Some of them are even worse than today. The women in the book of Isaiah it says the women would walk around with high heels that had bells on them. Why? To get the attention of the Romans. So some people tried to rebuke them, say, hey, what are you doing? The Romans, you're going to get their attention. So the women said, what's so bad? What are they going to want to do? Marry us? So let them marry us. Who were these women? The rabbi's wives. These were not just some putzot, prostitutes, single women that don't know right or left. These were the rabbi's wives, Ribono Shilolam. That's how far we went. What do you think? Hashem just destroyed the Bet HaMikdash. She had nothing to do. And Chadash Tachad Hashem is that the Yetzara was then, Yetzara is today. You read some of the actual Midrashim of what happened throughout all these generations, Mamash, you'll see it's identical to today. Identical. No such thing as more desires, less desires. Oh, this is a tough generation, weak generation. All of these different uh, things that people say to make us all feel like retarded. We're not. You can be a tzaddik, you can be Rasha. The choice is in your hands. Don't make excuses. You go up to Shemaim, you're going to know the truth. Don't wait till you go up to Shemaim. Don't wait up till you go up to Shemaim. It's not worth it. So, the Piyaton teaches us quite a bit. Quite a bit. One of the Amazing things is one of the first things I learned about this maybe five years ago. 
was a very interesting question that Rabbi Ephraim asked. He said, wait a minute. It says, Then Hashem opened the mouth of the Aton. Aton started talking. The, the donkey started talking to Bilam. What does Bilam do? He just talks back to it. Let me ask you a question. If you're just walking around, I don't know if any of you have pets. If you're walking around with your dog, or you have a cat, or a fish, or a donkey maybe, I don't know if you live in a place that has donkeys, wherever you have, and you talk to your pet, and he responds, like, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I actually agree with you. Yeah, you know what? We should, we, we should, get, we should go to that restaurant that's kosher this time. What? First thing you do is like you have a heart attack. Why? You're a dog. You're a cat. You're, you're, you're a donkey. You're not supposed to talk. You're not supposed to talk. Hashem wrote this verse in the Torah to explain to you something supernatural happened. And this Mishnah testifies it. This is a one-time thing. It's not like all the animals were talking like they do in cartoons. No, this is an animal that was created with no ability to talk. Hashem decided, let's put this mouth into it. Now it talks. Now it talks like you and me. It has a brain like you and me. Wow. So at the very least, you would think Bilam would say, whoa, maybe I'm drunk. Maybe I took a little bit too many mushrooms. Maybe uh, I smoked a little bit too much of this. Uh, something happened. What do you mean? That the donkey talking? What does Bilam do? He talks back to him. What do you say? I hit you only because you uh, you went against me. I went against you. I was your wife yesterday. The whole conversation. No surprise. He's not surprised. Why is he not surprised? Chidush worth a million dollars. Rabbi Ephraim says, someone can get so impure, so infested in sin, that he himself becomes the sin itself. His existence, he becomes Tum'ah. He creates so much sin, he's, it's become one with him. It's normal for him. It's a reflex. He wakes up to sin. Murder has become his nature. Whether that murder is with knives and guns, or it's wasting seed. Whether that murder is through speaking bad about people, or through immodesty. She knows that she's going to make men sin with her clothing, with her behavior, with all of that stuff. She knows. And Dafka, she does it. Why? How could I be? What, am I going to be a grandmother? I'm going to wear so much clothes to cover my whole self. How? How who's going who's gonna to think of me as the... Uh... She, that's what she's doing. She's intentionally going to wear Dafka to get the attention of the world. She's intentionally wearing the clothes, dafka to get the attention. That's the point. She's become one with the sin. The sin and her are the same. Bil'am Arasha got so impure and infested in his sin, he was not surprised that the donkey speaks. Why? He saw the donkey and him as the same thing. Him and the donkey were no different. He's become one with the sin. That's Shemirachem Alenu, how deep somebody can get. But even so, 
the Midrash says that what happened to this donkey? Hashem killed it. Why did Hashem kill it? To teach us another rule. Despite the fact, despite the fact, that the donkey rebuked righteously, Bilam, it wasn't his place. It wasn't his place to rebuke him in front of the people. Hashem killed the donkey. Why? Man, even a Tameh, even impure, is still superior to animals. So for all of these people leaving $20 million inheritances to their dogs and cats and fish, you should learn from Bilam and his donkey. Instead of giving the $20 million to the fish and the dogs and the cats, give it to people. Give it to people. They're much more important than animals. Even though sometimes animals will surprise you and they'll be better than some people. It's still, when you actually look at the Torah, you understand that the reason why we're here is because we have a purpose to serve Hashem and the animals are just one of the tools that Hashem gives us to serve Him. That's it. The last thing, the last thing that I got as a extraordinary chidush, I think that is a um, um, amazing in regards to this aton, this this donkey. That's very very relevant to um, this generation. Now in the verse it says, God opened the mouth of the donkey. And Sfono mentions that the uh, David Melech in Psalm 51.17 says what we say before Tefillat Shemona Yisrae, My Lord opened my lips, so my mouth may declare your praise. So, Rabbi Yaakov Yitzchak Ruderman says that Sfona is pretty much trying to teach that human speech is no less than a miracle than the speech of a donkey. So you should never take this gift for granted. And actually you should look at every single word that comes out of your mouth as a gift, as a miracle itself. But the Chidush on top of this is the, as follows. And I've told you guys this before, I believe. Rabbi Vadia said that when people go against the Torah, obviously it's a sin. Now when people are allow themselves to teach things that are against the Torah, obviously the Machtiya Rabin. When someone doesn't tell the truth, on the other hand, they're not necessarily causing people directly to sin. But still the Torah, Kedoshah says, they bring a case against themselves. And we learn this from the Gemara Masechet Shabbat, page 54a, 54b, all the way to 56, talks about it. And it says that Hashem Barach, before he destroyed the Bet HaMikdash, he decided that he's going to put a, uh, he sent one of the angels, and he said, go write a taf. Inscribe a taf on the forehead of the tzaddikim. Go 
scribe a tough on the head of Sadiqin. Why? So they're not, so the Malach HaMavit doesn't kill them. They're protection. But then Malach HaMavit showed up. Midat Adin. He said, oh, Hashem. What are you doing? What are you doing? We're about to destroy everything. Why are you getting in the way? No, no. Tzadikim. I can testify. These are Tzadikim. They follow the entire Torah. They follow the entire Torah. Tfilin, Rabbeinu Tam, Rashi, Nets, they wake up, they eat kosher at home, outside, they shake them in the Mashgiach. Everything's good. Tzadikim. Hashem says, I testify. That's Tzadikim. But then the Malach takes out the card. The one card that kills it all. He says, if they're Tzadikim... Why didn't they tell the Rashaim the truth? If they're such tzaddikim and they knew the truth, they knew the truth. How come they didn't share it? How come they didn't fulfill the mitzvah of You must rebuke your brother. How can they be tzaddikim if they see that their brothers are running headfirst into the train because of Chilul Shabbat? and murdering, and so on and so forth. How can they be tzaddikim if they see their brothers and sisters sinning against you, and they didn't say a word? Forget they, they said the bad things. They didn't say bad things, but they didn't say anything. And for the first and last time in history, Hashem changed the decree. He says, take off the writing, destroy them first. The Gemara says this is the first and last time that Hashem turned, in essence, what was supposed to be a good decree into a bad one. Why? They didn't rebuke. So Rabotai Karim, sometimes the rebuke is going to come from a big, big rabbi. Sometimes the rebuke is going to come directly from the Torah. Anyone that wants to know why the Holocaust happened, just look at Parashat Bechukotai. Just look at Parashat Kitavo. It says exactly why it happened and exactly what happened. There's no questions in the Torah. All of these questions of where was God during the Holocaust and all of these, it's all answered in the Torah. Sometimes the questions are very literally answered in the Torah. Sometimes the rebuke comes directly, literally from the Torah. Sometimes it comes from the Gdola Do, the biggest rabbis in the world from 2,000 years ago from 500 years ago, from today. Sometimes it comes from a ton. Sometimes it comes from a donkey. Does it change the fact that it's still true? No. Whether it comes from the biggest rabbi in history or it comes from a donkey, if it's true, nothing changes. So this is why we need to learn from this Mishnah, specifically from the Aton, from the donkey. He said the truth, that's why, he's mem- that's why he's remembered here. Today when we tell people the truth, they always want to kill the messenger. Oh, this guy is this, and this guy is that. What difference does it make about all these things? All the side stuff makes no difference. Is what I'm saying true or not? Is what I'm saying false or not? I say, no, but I heard from such and such rabbi that he said this, this, and this. Okay, did he provide you sources or did he say it from his own opinion? If he provided sources, let me see the sources. Maybe I got it wrong. 
But if it's just his opinion, his opinion is worth even less than a donkey. Less than a donkey. Why? The donkey is lame than the Torah. He's not. But if what I'm saying to you is a verse from the Torah, it's a verse from Halakha, it's irrelevant of what my history is and who I am and what my name is or any of those things are, even if I was a donkey himself. Why? It's the truth. Stop focusing on the messenger. Focus on what it, what's the message. That's what we learned by Yiftach Hashem at Piyaton. Hashem opened the Aton's mouth to tell you, listen, if what's coming out, true or not, doesn't matter where it's coming out from. If he says it, that means it's coming from Hashem. So the next one is the Keshet. The rainbow. After the flood, Hashem told Noah that he doesn't want to destroy the world again like this with a flood. But before all of that happened, Noah came out and he started crying. And Hashem said, you are a drunk shepherd. There was a case against Noah. Ish Tzadik Bedorotav was a righteous, complete person in his generation, but nonetheless, there was a Kitug against him. And the reason why Rabotai is because if Noah would have used 120 years that he had used to build the ark, if instead he would have used those 120 years to do Kiruv, to get the people of his generation to do tshuva, Hashem would have never brought the Mabul. And this is why Hashem in the Gemara tells them, you are a drunk shepherd. What kind of leader are you? If you would have cried before I brought the Mabul, I would have never actually brought the Mabul. How do we know? Because if you cry, then your message will be accepted. If you cry, the message will be accepted. Where do we know this from? Mara says, words that come from the heart, reach the heart. It doesn't matter what you say. If you're a good speaker, a bad speaker, speak loud, speak low, funny, not funny. If what you're saying comes from the heart, it'll reach the heart. And that's the reality. That's the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu, his message got to the hearts of Am Yisrael. He was a stutterer and a stammer and had all these speech impediments, but... The message reached the heart. Of course, the sages also explained that anytime he spoke Torah, it was actually Hashem speaking in essence coming out of his throat. But nonetheless, the point is, Rabotai Karim, is that Noah spent his time inappropriately. He could have easily used that same time to go do Kiruv. But he was worried. What if nobody listens? That's what people today say. Tell people, listen, why don't you tell your keilah the truth? Why don't you tell them they can't drive on Shabbat? Why don't you tell your keilah that they have to uh, tell their wives to be modest, to cover their hair? The Zohar Kadosh says that a husband that tells his wife not to cover her hair or to take off the cover that she has, the scarf that she has on her hair. He tells her to take it off or, he tell, or she asks him, should I cover my hair? And he says, no. He gets the worst curse in the Torah. It's called Aru. All the Panasah is lost. Everything is lost. Why? You just made your wife into a Mahdi Rabin. 
She's not causing other people to sin. The Gemara says there was one specific woman that had eight children, all of them, Kohanim Gedolim. Eight kids. Every single one of them, Kohen Gadol. Even the Tanaim of the time were surprised. Listen, having a good kid, good. Having two good kids, good. Five good kids, good. But all eight are Kohanim Gedolim. Imagine, you have eight Rabavadias. Eight Moshe Rabbeinus. I mean, eight. One is big already. Eight of them? How? What'd you do? What's your merit? The Tanaim Kintans, what's your merit? What'd you do? She says, in all of my life, in my entire life, not even the walls in my house ever saw a single hair on my head. Not even the walls on my, in, in my whole body, in my whole house, ever saw a single hair on my head. The way that the tzaddikot of previous generations used to cover their hair and uncover it, they would actually have a sheet. Somebody would usually have a sheet to cover them, or they would cover themselves, and they would change the cover of their hair under the sheet. Which literally means that even the walls wouldn't see their hair. Unfortunately today, women are looking for different ways to show hair that's not even theirs. This is how confused we are. It's a confused people. So the mitzvah of covering hair is covering it with a goya's hair. How does this make sense to anybody in the world? I don't know. But that's the yetzara. That's the yetzara. A woman that covers her hair appropriately, all of the blessings that could possibly happen, happen to her kids. Why? She's mamash, moseret nefesh. She's sacrificing her, 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 everything. A woman that doesn't cover her hair, mamash, she's just, she's just guaranteeing herself to miss out on some of the greatest blessings for her children ever. It's mamash fools. Aside from the fact that she's sinning and so on and so forth, it's mamash. Our kids, why'd you bring them to the world if you don't want them to be blessed? I know it's hard. It's not easy. But, nonetheless, we have to do it. So also the keshet, the rainbow, was in essence a covenant, was a brit. was a brit between Hashem Barach and Noach. But also is a reminder for us. What's the reminder? It's a reminder of that brit, meaning that you're not allowed to look at a, at a uh, rainbow and tell other people, hey, look, look at this rainbow, look at this rainbow. You're not allowed to do such a thing. Why? Because the rainbow is a reminder of the deal that Hashem made with Noah that He's not going to destroy the world. Meaning that when it's out there in the sky, if it wasn't for the deal, Hashem would destroy the world. If it wasn't for the deal he made with Noah, Hashem would destroy the world the moment that you actually see a rainbow. So to go and tell somebody else, hey, hey, look at this rainbow, we're in essence making Hashem angry off of this. Not that he has anger, but the point, you get my point. You're testing him. Why? You're telling him, hey, look, you, you, you technically want to destroy the world, but you can't because you promised Noah. Like putting a big cake on a, in front of a fat guy that's on a diet. It's not nice. But you get the point. Some of my examples are a little crazy, but you get the point. I'm fat. Wash her hair. Excuse me? The hair that she was 
Like, how would they wash their hair, these women who... Same thing. Same thing, same thing. Somebody would cover them or something with some type of sheet. They would wash their hair on there also. It's not, it wasn't like today where you have the fountains, the air coming out from, uh, you know, from the sky. You know, it's it it different. It's very, very different. Very different world. But nonetheless, the significant part of the story is how careful they were about covering their hair. How careful they were about their modesty. Because they literally understood that modesty for a woman is everything. A woman that's not modest, mamash, cannot show up to Shemaim with anything else. So much so that the Gemara in Masechet Sota says that a man that's modest, a man that's righteous, gets a modest woman. A man that's wicked gets a immodest woman. So the Chachamim asks, what does one thing have to do with the other? Why does a righteous person, a tzaddik, get a modest instead of getting a righteous woman? And why does a rasha get an immodest instead of just getting a wicked woman? What does one thing have to do with the other? So Rashi explains on the spot that if a woman is modest, she's more likely to be righteous. But if she's not modest, she's guaranteed wicked. Meaning it's impossible for a woman to be modest and righteous at the same time. Impossible. She could be a nice person. She could speak well. But she's not righteous in the eyes of Hashem. Why? Because she is not worried about his children. She's not worried about his children. So much so that there are many stories from Morocco and from different places in the world of how the women protected themselves to such an extent that they literally were willing to die instead of making other men sin. It's actually a story in the Gemara. Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa. Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa was one of the Tanaim. In the Gemara, Masechet Ta'anit. It says that uh, one day he was coming to, uh, to his house, but he saw outside of his fence, there was a young man peeking. Peeking into his own house. He said, uh, what are you doing, young man? He said, oh, sorry, sorry, you call me, I'm, I'm just looking at this beautiful woman. And Rabbi Kharina sees, who's this beautiful woman? His daughter. It's his own daughter. He leaves, he goes to the house, and he says to his daughter, my daughter, you're making Am Yisrael sin. Go back to the dust that you came from. She died on the spot. Why? It's better that you die than make Am Yisrael sin. That's the reality. That's the truth. Anyone tells you different is going against the Torah. I know people are going to try to hang me on this. Good luck. You're hanging uh, the Gemara on this. That's what the Gemara says. It's better to die than to make Am Yisrael sin. Salika even more. Yeah, Salika is a person, anyone that's connected to Morocco, if you have family there, or you're from there. To this day, people pray at her grave. Salika was only 16 years old. She's only 16 years old. One day she had an argument with her mom. She ran out. She went to the Sultan's house. She was hiding there. But then the Sultan saw how beautiful she was. And he says, okay, listen, convert, and I'll marry you. Like as if he's doing her a favor. And she says, I'm not converting. He says, if you don't convert, you know, you can't say no. In so many words, he says that if you don't convert, I'm going to torture you. And that's what he did. He tied her to a horse, 
and they rode in the entire town. After a few minutes, she screamed out, Stop! And they thought, oh, she's given up. She's coming back to her senses. She's not going to die just for the sake of Judaism. And she said, I have one request. Please give me pins. Give me pins. Pins? What do you want pins? They give her pins. She takes the pins and she takes her dress and puts and sews the dress into her own skin. Why? So no one sees her skin. No one sees her legs while she's being tortured to death. Why? It's better off to die than to, to, to get Amisad to sin. Even though she was Torah, she didn't have to do it. The point is, Rabotai, that's the difference between a tzaddiket and someone that's not. A few hundred years ago. But till this day, they prayed our grave. Till this day, she's praised in, Hashem, in Hashem's eyes. Till this day. To have even a quarter of Haolamaba. People think, oh, feel bad. Wow, she died. What died? She's going to get an Eden right now. Don't feel bad. Feel bad for us that we're still here. Feel bad for us that we're still here, that we have no idea. Ganeden Genom. All we know is that we have to do That's all we know. She's in Ganeden. There's nothing to feel bad about. She's in Ganeden. She's in the history books, in the Torah. She's like uh, one of the greatest people that ever lived in history. All of these women that are tzaddikis, that stood for the truth, nothing to feel bad about. Then Ganeden. So, the Keshet, the Keshet Rabotai, is a sign that Hashem technically made a deal, made a promise. But also, as we talked about actually yesterday in the book of Ezekiel, uh, chapter 18, verse 30, it's in essence a reminder for us. What's a reminder? Do tshuva. Do tshuva. Because Hashem Baruch says, "Ki lo echpatz b'mot amet neum Hashem elokim veeshivu bechayu." I do not desire the death of a dead person. The word of Hashem elokim: Do tshuva and live. Ezekiel eighteen thirty-two. He says, "What do you think? I want you to die? What do you mean? You just said I'm dead already." Meaning, if someone is wicked, is considered dead in his own life, but also Hashem says, "Do tshuva." I know you're wicked. Do tshuva. Why? Then you can live. What do you mean live? I, I'm going to die after a few years. No, no, no. Live with me forever. Eternally. Olam haba. Olam haba, Rabotai. Olam haba. I know you don't know what it means to be in olam haba. I don't know either. But I'm telling you, this world is just here to work. That's what Torah says. Olam haba is, is, is the greatest pleasure you could ever imagine is not even a moment in olam haba. Hashem says, all you got to do is tshuva to get there. That's it. It's not that much. He's not asking you to lift houses over your head. He's not asking you to do something that you can't do. He gave you the ability to do tshuva. He gave you the ability to do it. Just do it. You have a lamba. The rainbow is a reminder for us to do tshuva. Next is the mana bread. The mana bread probably requires a lecture of its own, to be honest with you. Why? The manna bread is a test of emunah and bitachon. According to Rabbi Akiva, the manna that we got in the desert for 40 years was actually the food of the angels. Called Ziva Shechina. 
But Rabbi Ishmael says, no, it wasn't the food of the angels, but it was so spiritual, this, this food, that it was completely absorbed by the blood system. This is in the Gemara Masechet Yomah, page 75b. Technically, they don't actually contradict each other. Technically, it can be both. Technically, it can be the food of the angels, and it was so good, it was completely absorbed by the blood system. We definitely wouldn't have any uh, digestive problems anymore, yes. But then I wouldn't feel comfortable about avoiding gain. No, I need those, I need, I need those stomach problems sometimes. No, Adamar Yishon, it says that the angels will cook them a barbecue. Uh, yeah, so it says. So it says the angels cooked them a barbecue every day. Yeah, they would, uh, they would uh, catch the uh, deer and make some nice barbecue. Of course, barbecue. So, anyway, I didn't write it. It's in Torah. I'm going to tell you. I wish I had the barbecue of a uh, demolition. <laughs> so anyway, the man of bread, Rabotai, was given in a certain way that has literally, if we start talking about it from now until the end of the world, it's not enough. Why? It teaches the foundation, the foundation of connecting to Hashem. Of course, we have to have Yirat Shemayim. The problem is that a lot of people think they could skip it. They could skip Yirat Shemayim and they get directly to Emunah. A lot of people like to talk about Emunah. You have Emunah, Emunah, believe that Hashem is going to help you, believe that Hashem is going to help you. They always have Emunah when things are terrible. Things are bad, things are good, they forget about Hashem. Or when it's extreme cases. Sometimes they have nothing when it's bad. And they have a lot when things are good. It's extreme cases, but they usually don't have it both. Why? It's fake emuna. It's fake emuna. When emuna is based on specific times or specific situations, then the reality is that that emuna cannot last. It cannot survive. So if somebody, for example, is struggling. And he gets out of the bed because he believes that Hashem is going to help him. He believes that Hashem is going to help him. The problem is, is that if his whole emunah is based on the fact that Hashem is going to help him, and that's, that's the, the whole, that his whole connection to Hashem is that he's struggling right now, and he believes that Hashem is going to help him, but he's not worried about Yerat Shemaim, he's not worried about loving Hashem, he's not worried about all of the other things that are connecting us to Hashem and Barach. It's only a matter of time before that Emunah breaks. One is usually break after Hashem actually helps him. Why? He has he prayed for Hashem to give him a parking spot, and then Hashem actually gave him a parking spot. But he thinks, what? He got the parking spot on himself. Like the famous joke. The guy says, Hashem, give me a parking spot right now and I'll, I'll do tshuva, I'll do tshuva. Right after he said it, a parking spot right next to him. A car pulls out and, and he sees it and he wants to pull in. He says, oh, don't worry about it, Hashem, I got it. I got it. I, 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 I figured it out on my own. If that emunah is based on a certain circumstance, it won't last. Same thing on the opposite. If that emunah is only because times are good. He has money, he has belief that things are going to get better. He made 50,000, he believes he's now going to make 100. He made 100 with two in a row, now he believes he's going to make 200. And he starts believing that his belief is leading to act. Like the uh, 
falsehood of the uh, the secret. That the, what people what people say, law of attraction nonsense. Think good and it'll be good. Think good and it'll be good is what people think. In reality, life does not work that way. But he believes it does. He believes he made 15. Now he made 100. See, I caused the 100 to be made by my positive state of mind. Now I'm going to think about 200. Made 200. Ah, even more reinforcing himself. The guy just became like a mini prophet now. Now he starts giving advice to everyone. He doesn't know Aleph Bed yet, but he starts giving everyone advice. You should, you should believe in me. Why don't you believe in me? What believe in you? You don't know anything. You just got lucky. No, you don't know what you're talking about. You're stupid. You don't know. They try to, like Mamash, become little false prophets. Then, even worse. What happens? He makes even more money. Now he's got a million. He's got a million. It's like, see you fools. See all you fools, you didn't listen to me. Look how stupid you are, you didn't listen to me. And now he feels like he's above and beyond all. Now he's in the most dangerous part of his entire existence. Why? Because his whole belief system was based on success. The moment it fails, so does the belief. Now he comes, now he comes back to have to think, start failing. The million becomes a half a million, and the half a million becomes 50,000, and the 50,000 becomes 5,000 or zero. Now it's like, God, why did you do this to me? Like it was all, it's all, God ruined it for you. You did it, and God ruined it for you. It's not that God gave it to you and God took it from you. Hashem Natan, Hashem Lakach, Yishem Hashem Evorach. Like Job said, God gave, God took, may his name be blessed. No, you made it in your mind, and God took it. Why'd you do this to me, God? Why'd you do this to me? You start getting into an argument with God like he's your boy. This is a belief system that's flawed from the beginning. You thought that because you think good, you'll get good. False. There's no such thing. Of course you should be optimistic. Of course you should be ambitious. But Hashem works different things for different people. Just your positive mindset doesn't necessarily control reality. What do you think? Avraham Avinu was a manic depressant and that's why Hashem brought famine to the world? What do you think that uh, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu had personality issues and that's why uh, Hashem tested all of Am Yisrael? There's no proof of the, such behavior in the Torah. Hashem does certain things for different reasons. Sometimes He tells us why. Most of the times He doesn't. That's why our emunah must have a foundation first of Yirat Shemayim first. You must have Yirat Shemayim first. You must know who you're dealing with first. Before you can even say, I have a munah. That's why Am Yisrael, when they crossed the ocean, it says, Am Yisrael saw the great hand of God and they feared him. And they believed in him and his Moses as a servant. Meaning, first we have to recognize that Hashem is everywhere. Our bank accounts, our ATM machines, our houses, our marriages, our children, our employees, our employers, our contracts, our customers, our lawsuits, our problems, diseases, Hashem Rechem, everywhere. Everything comes from Hashem. First, realize everything comes from Hashem. Once you realize that for real, if you're not scared, you're crazy. You're patuf from all the mitzvot. You don't have to do mitzvot because you're crazy if you're not scared. If you truly understand that Hashem runs everything in your life, everything with no exception, even whether the water that you turn on 
to go take a hot shower, even if it just doesn't feel like turning on to be as fast. Like you turn on the water, and usually it takes five seconds for the water to be hot. Because you live in modern America. It takes five seconds for it to turn hot. But then one day that you have an appointment, instead of it five seconds, takes five minutes. Something happened. It's a glitch in the system. Who's responsible for it? Answer, God. Good. You forgot to signal. Signal. You forgot to signal. God didn't forget. You forgot to signal. Left. And the cop pulled you over. Who's responsible for it? God. Meaning, there's no such thing as big and small. Anyone that says Hashem only deals with big things and not small things is 100% a kufir. There's no too small, there's no too big. He runs everything. Everything. The only thing that's in your hands is whether you obey Him or not. That's the only thing that's in your hands. Whether you do what He said or not. That's it. Everything else, not in your hands. Stop thinking it is. Your bank account is not in your hands. It's His hands. So it doesn't matter if you work seven days a week or two days a week. doesn't matter. Somebody came to Rabbi Yisraeli Salat. He told him, the Rav, I just heard in the shiur that you should have 100% emunah. He says, yes, of course. He says, the Rav, so you're telling me that if I believe that I'm going to win the lotto, I'm going to win? He says, yes. If you really believe? He says, yes, I believe. Okay, if you believe. The guy goes home, he tells his wife, honey, I'm not going to work anymore. We're not going to work. I'm not going to work anymore. The rabbi told me, if I believe I'm going to win the lotto, I win the lotto. I just bought the lotto ticket. To show how much I believe, I only bought one. I only bought one lotto. Why? I have belief. I have muna. I have muna. I don't need to buy 10 tickets or 100 tickets like all the crazy people. I know I have muna. I'm going to win the lotto. I only need one ticket. I put one ticket. I'm not going to work anymore. The lotto is in two weeks from now. I'm not working. One week passes, after a week the wife wants to divorce him already. He wants to deal with the husband all day in the house. He doesn't want to do anything. Go to work, go to do something, clean the house, watch the kids, do something, go get a donkey, I don't know, do something. No, 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 I believe, I believe, I'm going to make you money, don't worry. I'm going to bring the money to the house, don't worry, another week we're going to get our cash. He's out. what's she going to do? This bum is in the house sleeping all day. Another six days pass, a day before the lotto. Got $10 million on the line here. The wife is ripping our hair out. She doesn't want to deal with this guy. She says, listen, win, don't win. Just get out of the house already. Who wants to deal with you all day? Go back to your rabbi. Tell him maybe there's a different solution. I can't deal with this. If you win, I don't think if I want you to win anymore. You're going to stay in the house even longer. <laughs> so the guy goes to Rabbi Islami Salat and he says, listen, for the Rav, I have a muna. You know, I haven't worked in two weeks. I bought a lotto ticket. I know I'm going to win. It's tomorrow. He said, yeah, how much is the lotto? Just I wanted to know. I never checked. I forgot to buy a ticket. He says, the lotto is $10 million for the lotto. We missed out. That's because I'm going to win anyway. Don't worry. Because you know what? I think, I think you're right. It seems like you have serious emuna. You know what? Let's do a deal. You know, I need some money for the yeshiva and everything. Let me buy the ticket from you for $5 million right now. I'll buy it from you for $5 million. I'll give you cash right now. 
guy says, yeah, you have five million, put that up. I get, I'll get it if you don't worry. Okay, deal. He says, go back to work. What, what do you mean? You don't want to buy five million? I don't want to buy for nothing. It's worth nothing, the ticket. You're not going to win. Why, why are you cursing me? I'm not cursing you. I'm telling you reality. Why are you wishing me bad? Bad karma. No bad karma, no bad nothing. I'm telling you reality. You don't believe anything you say. You're just looking for an excuse not to work. Why? Why do you say, He says, if you truly believe you're going to win the 10 million, you would not be willing to sell it for five. If you truly believe you have 10 million in your pocket, only a crazy person would give it for five. You wouldn't even give it for 9.9. Why? Why would you give it for any less? Meaning your whole emunah has no foundation. Fake emunah. Go back to work and stop torturing your, your wife. So Rabotei Karim, the man of bread is supposed to teach us something extraordinary. He's supposed to teach Shemit Barach, decided to give us the man of bread every day. Instead of just giving us one mana, it will be like a little pill, fix us for the whole year. Because it's magical food anyway. He decided to give us mana every day. Why every day? Why every day instead of only once a year? Because... Since we got it every day, we never really know if we're going to get it tomorrow. If we never knew if we're going to get it tomorrow, it forced Amisrael to pray to Hashem every day. Hashem said, if I only give it to them once a year, they're only going to pray to me once a year. If I give it to them once every day, they're going to pray to me every day. This teaches us something critical about our day-to-day survival. Our day-to-day survival and struggle with money it seems like everyone struggles for money. The rich and the poor are struggling alike. The rich people have rich people problems. The poor people have poor people problems. Everybody has financial problems. No one has enough money. The guy that has millions is worrying about the economy. He's worrying about that his millions will not grow as fast or maybe will shrink a little bit. But he's worried about money sometimes even more than the guy that doesn't have millions. The guy that doesn't have any millions, he's, not, he's worried about if he's going to have enough food next month. He has food right now. But he's worried about next month already. Most people are worried about things they have no control over and in essence are creating a cancer inside them that's completely artificial. Why? They're worrying about things that are not up to them anyway. To worry about the past is a complete waste of time. Why? You can't change the past. You can't change the past. All you can do is open the door wide, two double doors wide for the Yetzirah to ruin your life. Why? It's the past. You can't do anything about it. But he's going to remind you that you should feel bad about it. You should feel bad because if you would have picked this other career, you would have made more money. You should feel bad because if you would have bought this stock, you would have made more money. Look how it went up. It was a two. Now it's a 1400. You would have been a billionaire now, you fool. And look at all these different things. All these different things. The reality is, Rabotai, looking at the past, is mamash, open double doors for the satan. Open double doors for the satan. Worrying about the future, is even worse. Why is it even worse? It's mamash like something you have nothing to do with. Why? Who knows if you're going to see the future? Everybody's sure, no, I'm saving for my retirement in 15 years from now for the 401k and the IRA and the pension plan and, and, and the second house and the vacation and the uh, college. Who knows if you're going to survive? Can anyone tell me right now, I am 100% sure I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning. 
For sure I'm wake up tomorrow. I don't know. No one knows. Not a single person on earth can guarantee they're going to wake up tomorrow morning. Not a single one. Why are you so worried about the future? Why are you letting the Satan put anxiety into your blood system? Because once you worry about the future, you start realizing the future is much bigger than the present. Why? If I need 5,000 right now to survive, then of course over time I'm going to need more. Why? If you have more kids, it's more money. The kids grow up, tuition grows up, food goes up, the stomach grows, the food grows also for that too. The house, you need a bigger house now. Why? The house you have is not big enough. It's never big enough, by the way. doesn't matter if it's two rooms or 200 rooms. It's never big enough, the house. Always need a bigger house. And you need a bigger house. And you need another car. Oh, you want me to get the same with the same car? I got to get a better car. You got to get a newer car. Why? The, 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 the 10-year-old car is not good enough? Why? Why? It doesn't go from point A to point B. No, but come on. People are going to see me with just a, uh, such a car. It's embarrassing for the rab. No, I have to, have to keep up with the Joneses. And the car is not good enough, and the watch is not good enough, and the house is not good enough, and everything is not good enough. You start realizing that the future is much, much bigger than the present, and you're struggling to survive for the present. You're already thinking about the money you need to spend over the next year, and you just survived this month. Mamash, you just skidded in this month. You survived with the last penny. You were able to buy Shabbat food. With the last penny, you paid the phone bill. With the last penny, you got the little donut for the kid. So he doesn't cry. Last penny. And now you're thinking, oh my. Six months from now, I'm going to need almost double what I needed this month. And I didn't even have, barely I had this month. Why are you killing yourself? The Gemara says, the rabbi of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Eliezer. Agadol says the following someone that ate today and is worried how is he going to eat tomorrow has no emunah why? Hashem fed you today say thank you what about tomorrow? say thank you focus on the thank you for today and give him a reason to give you tomorrow but if you forget to say thank you today, why should he give you tomorrow? You're an ungrateful person. People literally burn their lives thinking about the past and the future. I see people all the time. They're so worried about the future. Who knows if you're going to survive? Why are you cutting Hashem short? Why? He can't provide you. He has everything in the world. He's going to torture you only. Why? Why? Are you doing what he wants? Yeah, I'm doing everything he wants, but it didn't come yet. Okay, so it didn't come yet. So what? It's not time. Right now, I need a quarter million dollars cash. Not even a dollar of it is going to go to me. I need a quarter million dollars just to fund the down payment for all the projects that we have. We're running out of CDs. We're down to less than a thousand CDs right now. Meaning that within the next couple of days, no more CDs. And to get the CDs from where we get them takes a while. It's at least almost a month. CDs, books, videos, the organization, they a ton of money. People are donating $18 at a time. Okay, thank you very much. It's not going to get to a quarter million dollars anytime soon though. Do you see me worried? Why? It's not my business. It's not my business. It's God's business. It's not my problem. It's God's problem. He wants to give the money. He'll give the money. He doesn't want to give it. He doesn't want to give it. It's not my problem. 
Rent's due. You don't have the money. It's not my problem. I did my best. I worked for Hashem. I did everything. It's not my problem. It's God's problem. Worrying about the future, oh, the tuition is this, and the college is this, and all these, it's all things that you don't need to worry about. What about today? Today, today. Trust me. I was the guy you would go to if you wanted to plan for the future. For almost 20 years, I was the guy. People would pay extra to deal with me. Extra. How much extra? Four times the price. People would pay a premium of four hundred, of 300% to deal with me. Why? To plan for the future. Do you know how many people I saw plan for their future? And yes, I'm going to invest a half a million here so I could have a million there and a half a million here so I have a million there. And there are all these little boxes and how everything is going to work. And they plan it all nice on a computer and they all have this big picture in their mind of what they're going to do and they want, they bring it to you to implement it. They don't know that tomorrow they're going to die. They don't know that six months from now, market's going to crash. The whole plan goes to garbage. They don't know that half the assets they invested in are worth zero. They just don't know it yet. Why? They invested in shtuyot and nonsense and all types of private entities, things that don't have real value. Or overvalued assets. The point is people plan based on the information they have today that's generally warped anyway. I was the guy. Trust me. And all of those people, the plans didn't work out as planned. That's why it says people plan, God laughs. They can control the future. You can't even control the present barely. You want to control the future? You barely control if you can go to a bathroom by yourself. You want to control the future? Why are you so planning so much? If you stop, you just let Hashem run the world, your life changes. Why? You're much calmer. You're not going to have these fit attacks. What are we going to do? How are we going to eat? What? We have food now? Yes. So what do you worry about? No, next week. Next week. What about next week? You're doing your best? Yes. You're doing everything you can? Yes, that's it. That's all Hashem asks you to do. Do the best you can today. That's it. If you can't do anything, what are you, compl- what are you, what are you crying about? What? You think that if you complain, it's going to solve anything? You think if you stress out, it's going to solve anything? And in reality, most people worry about things they shouldn't have in the first place. Most people's concerns is about things they want to have, but not necessarily need. They want a nicer car, and a bigger house, and nicer jewelry, and nicer stuff. But in reality, they don't need it. You tell a guy, listen, uh, can you uh, donate 500 bucks for an avrech to maybe survive an extra week this, this, this month? No, I don't have any money. What do you mean? You have $20,000 on your hand. You have a $20,000 watch. You have $20,000 watch. You can't give $500 to an avrech. No, but you know, I'll need to sell it. Okay, so sell it. Well, you rather an avrech, someone that's a ben Torah, just have a struggle an extra day in his life waiting for somebody else to donate so you can keep your $20,000 watch? How do you live with yourself? This is the thing. These are the things that people don't realize. They just, they live their own worlds. They live in their own world. They don't think about anything else. And this is why Hashem sends them problems. Hashem sends people problems because they're not doing something right. He's trying to get you to wake up. Those things that you worry about, they're not so important. 
They're not so important. They're simply not so important. So this is mamash a a a wake up, a wake up for people to understand when it comes to emuna. Emuna begins with your bank. Emuna begins with your bank account, and the reason why is because everyone can have emuna in the beknesset. Everyone looks like a tzaddik in the beknesset. But the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says that when somebody goes up to Shemaim in the Beddin of Shemaim and they ask him questions, they first ask him, before they ask him, did you have a Munayin Abiknesset? Did you learn? Did you... Before they ask him all that stuff, what they ask him? Did you conduct your business with Emunah? Meaning, did you operate a business with a Shem in mind? You donated a certain amount of money every month. You invested in certain types of business and certain type of products that were actually kosher and not necessarily just because they were more or less profitable. And so on and so forth. You operated in a kosher way that has emunah as the number one thing in it. Did you or not? If not, you failed already from the beginning. The rest of the questions are not relevant. People that have become so acclimated and used to stealing in their business and they're calling that, no, I'm just being competitive. You're stealing. Your competitiveness is also, in other words, gematria, stealing. Stealing. No, no, he doesn't realize it. Exactly, you're stealing. No, no, but my competitor also does it also. Okay, so he's a thief also. They justify and rationalize their terrible behavior. This abutai is a business with no emunah. A lot of these businesses, I'm telling you, honestly, I, it's very hard for me to tell you what business is kosher, what business isn't. Who's kosher, who's not. It's even more difficult to find kosher businesses and business people than kosher food. Why? Because most people that are business owners, they always have a yetzerah that convinces them to continue operating the way that they are, even though it's taking advantage of people's naivety. I'll give you an example, and then we'll finish off here, because this Mishnah is very long. We'll have to do another shiur, at least one more. The Gemara in Masechet Shabbat, page 77b, says there are three things that, there are three things that grows stronger in time. Fish, as they get older, they get stronger. Pig, as he gets older, he gets stronger. And snake, as he gets older, he gets stronger. Now I understood from this Gemara, Chidush. This is also a Um, trying to explain to us something deeper. Something much deeper than just the snakes are bigger and the pigs and the fish. What it's trying to give us is a message. As the population grows, like fish, greed grows with it and so do the convent. So do the snakes. Snakes representing con men, pigs representing greed, 
and fish representing population growth. Fish could also represent suckers too. Whichever one you want to add. Both work here. The stupidity of man has no limits. The stupidity of man will lead him to sin and then he gets mad at Hashem for punishing him. In the business world, people are so worried about competing with the Joneses. They're so worried about flash. So worried about materialism. So worried about getting rich quick. No one wants to work hard for their money. Everyone wants to make money now. Everyone wants the lotto ticket to become rich. Oh, once I'm rich, I'll give a lot of staka. Oh, once I'm rich, I'm going to do this, this and that. Why does Hashem make me rich? I'll be the best rich guy in the world. I'll be a big tzaddik. That's what they say to themselves. But that's because they have a yetzerah of someone that's not rich. When they become rich, they'll actually have a different yetzerah. But nonetheless, the yetzerah right now is ruining their life. It's telling them that once they're rich, things will be better. In reality, things will be much worse for them. They don't realize that the test of being rich is much, much more difficult. The test of being poor. And the reason why is because someone that loves money will never have enough money. That's a Gemara in Masechet Sukkah. It also says that no one that ever died, died with even half of what he wanted. Why? Because you give someone 100, he wants 200. You give him 200, he wants 400. This leads people to constantly have stress and never be happy with what they have. None of them are happy with their share. You give him a hundred, he wants more. You give him a million, he wants more. You give him ten million, he wants more. He never has enough. This type of lack of control of our desires leads us to murder people with cold blood. Sometimes literally, sometimes figuratively. Where we have partners, but we steal from our partners. Not realizing that that money we're stealing from them over an extended period of time could have been a medical bill they needed that money for. Could have been a uh, house that they've been waiting for. It could have been a million and a half different things. We don't think about things like that. We think about, I need now that extra 50000 that the company has. My partner doesn't know, so he doesn't know. Let me take it, I'll give it back. Time passed, you forgot to give it back, but it just so happened you need another 50000 Now if it was okay, listen, I was good for the first fifty. Wait, you didn't pay. No, no, I was good for it. I'm good for it. Don't worry, I'm good for it. You give me another 50000 I'm going to give back 150000 I'm doing him a favor now. Now your Yetzirah convinces you to continue stealing from your partner. Little do you know, eventually you have literally robbed him blind and the time he needs it, he doesn't have it, the guy dies because you stole. And people live with themselves this way. They steal from clients, they steal from partners, they steal from their own kids, they steal from their own parents, they steal from their, everybody, their own companies and so on. People rationalize there because they have no control. They have no emunah. They have no emunah that Hashem will give them exactly what they need. They feel like they need to help Hashem. Why? Because they want a flash. They want the big watch. They want the big rings. They want the big house. Why? Because it has nothing to do with anything other than their own pride. And this leads people to make horrible, stupid mistakes in everything else. One of the amazing mistakes, Mamash, this is like a new record of stupidity. It's, it's, this is just like this, this Gemara that says that as population grows, greed grows and so do the crooks. It should also be, it also works if it's not population growth, it should also be the, the foolishness grows. Why? Because 
this current investment world today has this cryptocurrency that we talked about a couple of times. There was literally a guy that wanted to just see how stupid people really are. And he invented, it's not a real thing, he invented a cryptocurrency that he called Ponzi, Ponzi coin. Like Ponzi for Ponzi scheme. Ponzi for Ponzi scheme. And on the website he wrote, this is a scam. You put money, I'm going to steal all of it. I'm going to steal all the money. And he gave him funny diagrams of how he's going to steal all this money from them. And within eight hours, eight hours, how stupid people are. Within eight hours of him opening it to the exchange, $250,000 was deposited into his account. This is the stupidity of people. You tell them, take 250000 save neshamot, $18. $18 I have. $20. Why? You make 100000 a year. All you can give is one chai. Give me one met. One chai is one life. It's $18. Numerical value, $18. One met is 440 Give me the dead one. Don't give me the live one. No, 250000 to save souls. I don't have, but 250000 for a fake currency. I have. They have. This is the, the guy was so surprised at how stupid people are. He closed it down. He said, I'm sorry, guys, you're just stupid. It's a joke. You're not supposed to deposit money. You're not supposed to do it. This is, why? People can't see straight when it comes to money. They can't see right. They can't see left. They're so consumed with it. It's like mamash, like a, a dog with rabies. It's insanity. Insanity. This is why I'm going to tell you something that may shock you, may depress you a little bit, but I promise you it's all for the good. Hashem Bar says, Mashiach will not come until everyone's broke. Why? The same Gemara Masechet Abu says, I never found my nation to be as pleasing to me as when they were poor. Why? When they're poor, they pray to me. When they're poor, they pray to me. When you have problems, you pray to Hashem. No, no, I pray better when I'm rich. No, you don't. Why? Hashem said you don't. Hashem said you don't. No, no, I'm, I'm much better. No, you don't. Why? Hashem's not wrong. Hashem's not wrong. That's a reality. If you're still chasing the future, you're missing the whole point. You're missing the whole point. If you're still constantly chasing, chasing, you're like a, one of these little uh, things that's in a roll. I want to be the king. I want to be the king. I want to be the king. I want to have a big car. And a big car. Why? Why? Well, you have rabies? What's wrong with you? Why is it in the house that you have right now not enough? What's wrong with you? Did you learn nothing? It's not good for you. You eat too much, you start choking and dying. You have too much, you're going to start choking and dying. This is what we learned from the mana. The mana is to teach us you'll get exactly what you need. If you start behaving that way, where you know Hashem Barach loves you. Why? Your son. Your daughter. Of course he loves you. What you, want? you think a parent wants to see his son starving to death? He's going to give you what you need when you need it. Not when you want it. When you need it. And if you let him run the world the way he runs the world, which he's going to do anyway, by the way, only you win. Why? Now, you've relieved all of the stress and inner turmoil, turmoil that you have in your head. 
You take it, you throw it in the garbage, the end. 90% of people's stress, 90% of all the divorces that happen, 90% of the inner turmoil that people have is because of worrying about things they have no control over. The future, the past, the money they don't have, the money they should have, and all the credit they should get, and all the kavod they should get, all the shtuyot. Let Hashem run the world is what the man is teaching us. He's going to give it to you. If he wanted to punish you, there's a much better place for that. It's not this world, don't worry. This Kareem, I think, should be enough for this up to now with this Mishnah. Unless you have critical questions, we continue next week. No, didn't fit in. Next. Ken. There's an exception for the case of people that have bigger merits. Now, someone that has a um, obligation to do a mitzvah has a much bigger reward for doing the mitzvah than someone who does not have an obligation to do a mitzvah. Why? Because he's doing it because God said so. That we learned yesterday. Now, Sometimes a person doesn't have any merits. Simply doesn't. Doesn't have any merits. Need a lot of sins. Or perhaps his merits just enough to get him into the door, but not enough to get him in. So he needs the help of someone at Sadiq. Someone that has special merits in Shemaim. And if he has access to such a person he should be willing to do everything he possibly can to get that person to truly pray for him. Now, a lot of people claim to have this merit. A lot of people claim to be tzaddikim. But in reality, there are only two certainties of if someone is a tzaddik. Do you know for sure? If he's a tzaddik. Forget the uniform. Forget what he looks like. Forget about what people say about him. There are only two things that you know for sure this person is tzaddik. One, if he gets people to do tshuva. If this person really gets people to do tshuva, this is a person that has major merits. Why? Hashem Bach wrote in the book of uh, Jeremiah, Im mi zolel If you bring someone precious from someone that's not precious, someone that's worthless in essence, you'll be like my mouth. Meaning, if you get people to do tshuva, you will be like my mouth. Whatever you say, I'll fulfill. Just like I created the world in words, your prayers will be like my words that I created the world. In essence, you say, I'll, I'll, make it, I'll make it so. So somebody that makes people do tshuva has special merits when it comes to prayer. The second thing is, is if he's a well-known Talmud Chacham. Well-known Talmud Chacham like Rav Kanievsky, uh, you know, that Shichye, and others that are not really that many big ones in the world, but there are quite a few Talmidei Chachamim. You don't necessarily need to go to the biggest in the world. Absolutely not. You can go to someone that's not well-known. In fact, it's a, uh, it could be even more meritorious to go to someone that's smaller. But yet, it's a Talmid Chacham. That you have to verify. You can't just say because he goes to Kol, he's a Talmid Chacham. 
have to verify. Did he write any books? Did he, is he studying all day or is it just part of what he does? Like who, what, when, and how? Just like you investigate in your, uh, your investments before you invest in property or you invest in a stock or you invest in anything else, invest some time into finding out if this person is a real Tamit Chacham. Same thing with the Kiruv person. Is this person actually getting people to do tshuva? Or is he just giving lectures? There's a lot of people who just give lectures, by the way. A lot of people giving lectures. There's a new person every day giving lectures. How many people in the world give, actually get people to do tshuva? According to Rabbi Ephraim that I spoke to him today about it, you don't want to know the number. But it's in the single digits. People that actually go to lectures and actually be, get people to do tshuva, Hebrew and English. He knows a lot more than I do. He said it's in the single digits. A lot of people give him lectures. A lot of people give chizuk. But tshuva? Very few. Get people to come. The guy comes to a lecture, atheist, he lives with tzitzit. He leaves where it takes off his earrings. He changes his life, decides to keep Shabbat. Very few. Very, very few. So someone that does that on a regular basis, that's special merit. Someone that's a real Tamit Chacham, prove it. I ask you questions, do you know? Or you don't know? Do you write any books? What do you do with this with the stuff that you know? So, that's it. so Sometimes somebody has special merits because of those things. Everyone else, I'm not saying that everyone else is pasuchas for shalom, but everyone else, you have to spend a lot more time researching it. A lot of people claim to be talmidei chachamim, and they, they claim to do certain things, but you can't verify it. Also, if a person says, I'm only going to do pray for you if you give me money, that already makes them pasul. Makes them someone that's nothing. Why? Because you can't do it for money. Even you want to give them the money, you can give them the money, but they can't do it themselves only because of money. That already loses all that merit. So when it comes to uh, uh, um, Avimelech, uh, you know, talking to Hashem and Hashem telling him to ask Avraham to pray for you, that's because Avraham was a prophet. Avraham us on us to, to have a prophet pray for us. Next question. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Understanding how Hashem works is, is how runs His world, we don't know. But I do know this: if someone is truly trying to learn Torah, Hashem will help him. Why? Because Abali someone that comes to become purified, Hashem helps him. Even more so, it, people usually don't eat at the same restaurant under normal circumstances on a regular basis. They don't eat their breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You maybe eat there once a week or a couple times a week, but you're not going to eat that one place that's not kosher every day. So, which means that if you're constantly eating not kosher, then you it's really your fault because pretty much everywhere you're going is not kosher, which is not normal. Of course, you can have the occasional you know 
uh, a pariah here and there, but not everyone is a criminal. A lot of people are doing other things, but not necessarily messing with the whole kosher thing. That's the second thing. The third thing is the uh, Mishnah in Avod says, uh, Someone that gets people to do tshuva, sin doesn't come to him. Meaning, someone can protect themselves from all of these piranhas, all of these different uh, things that could be obstacles in his way, by making sure that he's doing some form of kiruv. Each one of you, you have to understand, I keep telling you guys this every every lecture, I keep telling you guys about kiruv, kiruv, sometimes one minute, sometimes ten minutes, sometimes twenty minutes. I don't think you get it. I honestly don't think, I've talked to you guys probably to a bunch of times for the last couple of years, I don't think you understand what I mean. I'm going to tell you what I mean in very, very simple language. So you understand. And everyone that's watching this also understand what I mean when I says when I says it. I'm going to say two things because I said one thing yesterday. I'm going to say it again because I honestly just I, I thought about it on the way here. I really don't think people understand it. So let's we have to be very clear because it says that you know people that teach they call it chachamim. I'm not exactly a chacham, but they, they have to be very very clear. So we have to, we're going to be clear once and for all. So you understand that there's no sugar coating and there's no uh, misunderstanding of what Kiruv really is, okay? So, merits, we've talked about the merits, there's a lot of good things, and so on and so forth. But people don't act based on merit for some reason. I tell people, listen, if you, uh, if you do Kiruv, Hashem will answer your prayers. Okay, okay, sure, next month, call me and I'll, I'll give you money. I'm not calling you. You want to donate, donate. Uh, or I'd say, listen, if, if you do Kiruv, then you can save Ami Sled, you get 310 worlds for every Jew that you save. Oh, okay, okay, $20. Okay, fine, but $2,000 for the watch, but $20 for Kiruv. I don't think people understand it. So when people understand, they understand sometimes the other side. So I'm going to give you guys an understanding of what it means. Okay? Everyone here is trying to do tshuva. Everyone that's watching is trying to do tshuva. Okay? The book of Ezekiel we read yesterday. He's saying in simple truth, Shuvu ve'ashivu. Return, meaning do tshuva, and get other people to do tshuva. So your transgressions that you've done do not stand as an obstacle in your own tshuva. Meaning, kiruv is not something you should do. Kiruv is something you have to do. You have to do. It's not like something you should. Now, how much? What should you shoot for? Okay, so if I give, uh, you know, five or six CDs here and there when I get a chance, is that good? Here's, here's, here's the reality. Right now, we have approximately 20 million Jews in the world. Even if I give a lecture every single day, and every day somehow I fill up the room with 500 new people, and all 500 people do tshuva. Every day, and somehow I get the power to do it five times a week. So that means 2,500 people a week do tshuva, times that by 4, that's 10,000 people. Times that by 12, that's 120,000 people. That's not even 1% of Am Yisrael. So this entire illusion that I just gave you still is not even good enough. Meaning, what is the obligation of doing Kiruv? Every single person needs to understand that this year, this year, each person needs to get at least 10 or 15 people to do tshuva. Not, oh yeah, yeah, I got this guy to do tshuva. Yeah, he's keeping Shabbat. When? Last week? No, this year. That's not enough. 
Each person needs to take on their hand and make sure they realize, I have to get 10 to 15 people to do tshuva. It's the only chance we have. Why? Because if we don't, we'll have the same or even worse consequences than what we had in Egypt. And the parasha of Mashiach will be Vayihi. And you know what Vayihi means. Vayihi means Oyvei. Friends, family, neighbors, a bunch of people we know are going to die if we don't do Kiruv. This is what people need to understand. Everybody talks about Sinat Chinam, and Sinat Chinam, and baseless hatred. This is the biggest baseless hatred that's ever happening. People know that their brothers, their sisters, their friends, their neighbors, their cousins, their mothers, all these people are sinning, and they don't say anything. No, 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 eventually I'll do it. Okay, what about the other guy? What about the other guy? Yeah, but I don't know him. Perfect, so go to him. Your brothers and sisters are not going in the right direction. You just coast clear and just, just taking care of yourself. It's not good. Why? Because even, even, if you start keeping Shabbat, and you start learning a little bit, and all these different things, you're still not going to have enough merits. Why? You made a lot of sins. We made a lot of sins. We made a lot of sins, Rabbi None of us is Moshe Rabbeinu. We made a lot of sins, meaning the only chance for us to fix our sins is by getting other people to do tshuva. The only chance. So it's not that it's nice, or it's good, or yay. No, no. Forget the reward. Even if there's no reward for it, you still have to do it. Why? It's the only chance your tshuva is going to be accepted. It's not one or two occasional people. You have to actively make it a part of your life. If it's money, let it be money. If it's time, let it be time. If it's skill, let it be skill. Whatever it is, make it your life. Make it your business. Because the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin, they ask Rabbi Eliezer Gadol, what will save us at the time of Mashiach? He says, Torah and Gmilut Chasadim. Torah obviously means follow the Torah. Gmilut Chasadim means overwhelming kindness. What's the highest level of kindness? Kiruv. It's not a nice thing to do anymore, Rabotai. Forget the nice. That was two years ago, maybe. Now, it's a must. You have to make it a part of your life. You have to set up lectures. You have to give CDs. You have to give money if you have. You have to give time. You have to give skills. You have to do something. Why? This is your tshuva. This is your tshuva. If you're 19 or you're 90, you have to get... 10 to 15 people every year, this year alone, to do tshuva. If each person, Ami says, starts taking things seriously, we have a chance. We have a chance that Ben David's going to come and it's going to be decent. If not, I don't even want to give you the, the, the understanding of what it would look like. People keep praying for the Mashiach. They don't understand what would happen if Mashiach actually showed up right now. The Holocaust will be like child's play. You have to take this to your heart. You have to understand what I'm trying to tell you here. It's not a nice thing to do anymore. It's an obligation. You have to save your brothers and sisters. You know them, don't know them, it doesn't make a difference. They're related to you in one way or another. You're from the same God, from the same forefathers. You have to save them. That's Kiruv. Bezat Hashem, this will wake us up a little bit. Get us out of our slumber. Stop focusing on money and bitcoins and houses and cars and start focusing on souls. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen ve Amen.